This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hello and welcome to And That's Why We Drink, the podcast with em and christine your I, badass ghost hunters that's em that's me i have no pants on today you tell Welcome. me them who i am oh and that's christine she has pants on today i think how do you know i think i cannot be sure oh well, speaking of no pants i have things to say about that real quick i'm sure you do um one of our friends lizzie i never got to i didn't show you because i wanted to show you on camera sent me a christmas gift oh and it's from uh it has to do with the episode i think it was like 191 where you gave me my own like mexican wrestling name yes yes of course so i now own a hat that <gasps> says el burrito sin pantalones which is the pantsless burrito holy crap and it makes me so happy wait but I that's wanted to... so cute is that not the nicest sin pantalones people love that that is anyway beautiful. what was I... eva the red the red-headed devil or something <laughs> that checks out anyway i wanted i you just i well i mentioned i'm not wearing pants and in the spirit of that i wanted to let you know my hat also lets everyone know i'm not wearing pants so anyway. oh i love it i um for once am wearing pants because once the camera is on me i feel like maybe i owe that much to the people who are watching not me um, not you no i would never nah. on your behalf um but never anyway em what? what are you drinking today and why um, that's a great question. What I was not prepared to answer. Um, I am drinking water out of my, uh, again, my Regina pizzeria cup because I'm trying to stay hydrated. Lovely. Um, why do I drink? Well, Hmm. A few things now that you've opened the floodgates. Um, first of all, I drank because I apologize in advance that my audio is very echoey next week it will not be like that because i am ordering a nice little soundproof situation for myself now that well i'm sending you a plunger though i thought we were gonna put a plunger for it maybe i'll get like an honorary plunger and just have it next to me that'll be my decor yes i love that um the other reason i drink is because my adhd meds are not working like i thought they would yeah i'm super bummed and like it's gotten to a point where the my psychiatrist has been like we've kind of hit the max dosage oh, no so like i now I'm, I'm probably gonna have to start back at square one or maybe it hasn't kicked in right away and he's like you can do it for another two weeks or so and we'll see if things change but if not then i don't know enough about psychiatry but they were saying something about i'm gonna have to add a salt to it which apparently makes it like 
more problematic because it's like more addictive or something. Assault or like salt? <clears throat> like apparently it's called a salt. Oh, I thought you were saying like assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> They're going to assault me with some salt, apparently. <laughs> okay, <And> got it. <laughs> I don't know why I can't just get some fucking Adderall. Like, I don't know why I got to be trying all this stuff I was never prepared for. So like, I'm I'm hoping that I can just ask him, like, why didn't you just start me on like the most common thing? But Because it's controlled medication. They're going to give you a hard time about it because people abuse it. It's, listen, it's the same with the clonopin. You get if- a really hard time anytime you go to a new psychiatrist. If anything, though, for the last 28 years, like, I've been my own issue. Like, yeah. I would rather just try one, like, try an issue that, like, could become a non-issue and that, like, it'll help me from myself. You know what I mean? Well, hopefully that's what happens because when I, I had a psychiatrist who was like, I know you and I trust you and I don't think you're abusing this. But then when I moved and got a new psychiatrist, they were like, well, how am I supposed to know that you're not abusing this medication? And it's like, you have to start all over the process of, like, convincing them that you're not going to, you know, abuse yeah. it. Anyway, that's probably why I why I drink in a bad way, but I do drink in a good way in that Allison is home after six Yay! weeks. So there's that. Why do you drink and what do you drink? Guess what I'm drinking, a London fog. <gasps> <laughs> I know. Blaze is like, I'm running to the coffee shop down the street to grab like uh, coffee beans. Uh, do you want anything? And I was like, I want a London fog because Em and I are recording today. And they had that's one. So and it's nice. really good, Em. And they sweetened it without asking. It's very Ugh. good. If you work at Starbucks, you know, well, not like every Starbucks employee across you the globe. You know about knows me, M. Me specifically. But I have complained a lot openly that Starbucks who like is supposed to know the recipe half the time it's never right because it's just apparently it's like a rare thing to ask for or it's not asked enough yeah weird and they always forget to sweeten it and I always complain specifically to you about that so I'm glad that they sweetened it for you yeah automatically and it's really good so I'm trying to come up with new ways for you to visit me um and oh here comes moon oh my god knocking all of my shit over okay Two ways to lure me in a little kitty cat and my favorite tea exactly I'm trying my best here Come here, Moon. Say hello. Oh, he's he's what people call a void cat because he's all black, so it's really hard to see in like photos his face. So (laughs) he's keeping you sheltered. He's saving your eyes from the beauty that he is. (laughs) The cuteness. Um, Oh, I have a reason why I drink, which is really weirdly uh, related to. I'm talking really fast. I think I had too much caffeine today, but oh my god, I. uh, It's really weirdly related to what you said, which is that I realized. Yet, I mean, I don't want to like rain on your parade at all, and I'm sorry if I do, but I realized yesterday, as Lady Gaga says, "Rain on me." All right. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Did you know actually that is an original M. Schultz quote that was stolen by Gaga? You know, um, the, the gags, she loves to do that to me. She so. likes to borrow your favorite sentence. And I let her. I let her. You know? She actually has a new album coming out called Noodles All the Way to the Top. And I heard about that. I texted her. I was like, Miss Gags, what are you doing? Come on. Don't don't be don't be foolish. Like you don't know. Sometimes Bear tells me, oh, you know, Bear, my dad, sometimes Bear tells me that he listens to the intro of these episodes and I'm like, oh God, oh God, what did I say? I don't remember. Can someone make, can someone make an album, by the way, or like an album artwork of Bear and the Gags? Like, (laughs) he doesn't know who the hell Lady Gaga is, promise you. But so sometimes he says that and I'm like, oh God, what did I say? And then he has this really disappointed look on his face and I'm like, (laughs) 
Maybe I should start thinking better about what I start the episodes with. And here I am. I'm not doing that. So sorry. To my, my father would look the same way if he even tried to listen. So <laughs> yeah. like, you're, I don't know if you're luckier. I'm really lucky know. he doesn't listen actually. I, so. That's how I usually feel. And then he's like, I tried listening to another episode. It like pains him physically. You know what terrifies me? Uh, Bumble girl who I've been becoming friends with. Right. I'm always scared when I meet someone on Bumble and they don't know who I am, which is what I want. I want like a clean slate. Like I want like, you don't yeah. know me but I, they'll creep on me because that's what you do when you like meet someone online, you sure. learn about them and they're like, oh yeah, haha. I listened to a few of your episodes to like oh, get God. to know your vibe. And I was like, let me guess you're breaking up with me. Yeah. I that's the worst. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it. you have to find a line of like, somebody knows you well enough to be like, oh, I understand, appreciate you. But like the other line of not knowing you at all, because then they're going to be scared. I've made a few friends where they have said, so I know that like you're known for this thing, but I hope you don't mind, but I'm not going to listen because I want to get to know you like, wow, like between you and me. That's and I was kind. like, that's the nicest thing you could do. Like, yeah, <laughs> please, to, like, please not... God, don't make an opinion of me. Don't judge me. me on... Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I wonder that because I'm like, and if you listen to Beach You Sandy too, I'm like talking about my here it is my Dilbert M&M machine all the time. And I'm like, if a new friend is like listening to the podcast and just hears me bragging about my Dilbert M&M machine, they're going to be like, this person bragging? is unstable. Yes. Oh my God. I'm very okay. proud of this. That's a word you, you did not use the first time you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm showing you my true colors, future BFFs. Well, um, um anyway, wait, uh, can I tell you why I drink? Sorry. I got sidetracked. Oh my God. You didn't even say it. Something. Sorry. It's the caffeine. Okay. okay. The reason I drank because you said Lady Gaga something or other rain on me, my parade, mm, whatever. Mm, so mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that I found out yesterday, I realized that the Lexapro is working and I don't think I've ever had like an experience where what it's does just that like, mean you found out it's working. So I, I was prescribed it because I was on Wellbutrin and it like, it's an antidepressant, but it like also is known to increase anxiety. And um, as oh. everybody knows, I'm like a very anxious person. Oh. So I never really put that together. And I was like, well, I'd rather be anxious than depressed. And so I just kept taking it. And then my new psychiatrist was like, oh, well, they actually work really well together. And I was like, okay. So I started Mm -hmm. taking the Lexapro being like, I don't know what this is going to do, if anything. And all of a sudden, so I realized it like it hit me because yesterday I had this like little interview on a podcast, um, a true crime show that I'll let you guys know when it comes out. But I was like setting up for it. And usually I get like just terrible stomach pains and like I get so nervous to get on a zoom call or a phone call and poor Emma's is always like we're literally talking to like our manager calm down we're, like we're, we're calling Eva we're calling Eva literally can you, like, can you relax I'll be like, I'm terrified and I'm like I have to change this is embarrassing I have to change shirts because I'm like sweating I have to like use it's the true. bathroom 10 times like it's really it's bad and yesterday I was sitting here and I was like preparing and the guy was running late and I just sat there And all of a sudden the thing started ringing and I was like, wait a second. I didn't even like, I wasn't like freaking out. I wasn't having to do breathing exercises. I was like a little nervous, but I was like, oh, this is what a normal person feels as far as like, oh God, I'm a little nervous for this, but not like my whole body is shutting down because I don't want to hop on the phone in a perfectly easy phone call. And I was just like, I think that must be what it's like. So I'm just very thankful. And a lot of people have written in saying Lexapro really did wonders for them too. So thank the Lord. How long did you have to be on it before? It's been like five weeks, I think. Okay. 
And so I finally was like, wait a second. So I don't know how long it's been like adjusting, but yesterday was the first time I had like something that would have absolutely made me like piss my pants. And I was like, (laughs) oh, that's weird. I'm just a little nervous, but that's it. And so anyway, I'm very thankful for it. And it's really changed. And I didn't have taken clonopin like or or propranolol. I was like, holy crap. So anyway, cheers. Wow. Good for you. I know I didn't want to like, again, rain on you like Gaga says, but Mm -hmm. um, I was just very thankful that for once I was able to diminish my anxiety for once ever. Wow. Well, okay. Well, good for you. I'm very, I'm very happy for you. Thank you. And a lot of people have written in saying like, Hey, I started, I went and sought help for my ADHD or I started antidepressants because you guys talked about it. And that just makes my, makes me so happy that people are, um, you know, opening up about that. Um, a lot of people have through Tea Time Tuesday because I see everyone's gossip, whether or not I post it. That's I see true. It. And a lot of people have been saying that this is like their year to go figure out their mental Hell health situations. Yes. So very excited for me. It's the year of sandwiches. For you, it's the year of mental health. Whatever. <laughs> of it's, it's a wide range, but like listen, that- new year, new president, new meds. It's new sandwiches. All- Today's garbage day, as Eva oh, said earlier. It's garbage happy trash day uh no today literally like a couple hours ago we got a new president also oh and also by the way i know a lot of people were like did anybody even did they not even know we were recording last week and we got off the recording and eva said hey maybe you should look at your phones and it was like capital has been breached and people are mobbing the interior and we were like this has happened in the last two hours while we were recording like the simpsons blah 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 and then we get off and it's like hey the whole world has gone to shit so we didn't ignore it we just didn't know it was happening it was i mean we really could not have picked a less convenient time (laughs) it was so wild (laughs) like as we were as i was talking about the simpsons i was getting like a flood of texts from people being like check the news look your mom was calling you yeah i was like i'm recording like whatever tragedy has befallen the nation i will check later and then i I found out it really was a tragedy that had befallen the nation isn't there a weird thing that like the sim didn't the simpsons also predict that so they, I'm pretty sure that was a Photoshop situation. Oh, okay. Cause that but would have been really weird. Before I like started looking into that, I believed it because I was like, so on Simpson stuff. Right. Um, but when we found out about the Capitol, people were starting to tag me in this thing that basically said that like, oh, they also predicted that this would happen as I'm telling the story. All of the Simpsons predictions yeah. that another thing that that they could have predicted happened and so that was really weird but now i'm seeing that that was like fake and they were trying to free people out so uh, i'm not sure well anyway still weird. anyway thank you for drinking uh london fog in celebration today. it makes me miss you like more than i thought i was just drinking and i was like <laughs> i only ever have these with m and so now i'm just like really sad i guess i need to go take more have you iced it because that's gonna really fucking rock your socks off. no but it's like 25 degrees here today so okay that's right. i'm going to but i wanted to make sure they sweeten it properly first and crank they the heat and then pour that puppy over some ice cubes it's <laughs> okay. gonna change your world okay next wednesday when the next government building is being swarmed i'll try that yes okay perfect uh no and especially thank you because postmates and starbucks are now no longer working together which means i had no idea until you posted that so i can't even get them anymore because they they made a deal with uber eats but uber eats's menu is super limited so london fogs aren't even available so if i want one i have to make one and it is talk about a tragedy that's befallen the nation so (laughs) um, i heard that actually on simpsons season four it was somebody (laughs) predict london fogs 
This is not the year Canceled. for that. It's, it's the year for everything else, but not my London fogs. Okay. Anyway, yikes. Sorry, everybody. Welcome to and That's Why We Drink, where I don't wear pants and Christine drinks my favorite drink from across the country. Um, but it's sweating a little less, so. And that's what a London fog is for, baby. There's the elf, that. The El Foggy all the way. Yikes. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15 percent off their first order at burrow.com slash drink that's burrow b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash drink for 15 percent off burrow.com slash drink you know when you've got the holidays the new year and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind especially if you run a small business it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things but stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies for 25 years now stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses whether they're mailing out checks invoices legal documents books podcast branded koozies maybe that's just us or anything else get access to to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. So this is episode 207. Also, this is our very first episode of we're celebrating four years today. How did we forget to mention <gasps> That's this? That's right, my dude. Four freaking years. Four years ago yesterday, I posted on Instagram that they asked me if I want to do podcasts, and I said, I don't think so. Thanks, though. And then Blaze said, you're really depressed. You need a new hobby. And I said, fine, I guess. And it worked. And look, look how beautiful that. it turned out. We're such, we're, we're our own worst enemy. Or it's like, why do you celebrate today? Oh, yeah, I guess also today's our four-year anniversary. But <laughs> technically, technically, February is the anniversary. The, yeah, so. this is like the conception we are like we are pregnant came... with the, we're with pregnant. the podcast <laughs> uh, we're expecting we're expecting so. oh my anyway God. 
someone take that clip and really like destroy the gossip tabloids. Oh, yikes. The podcast tabloids, you know them. You know, um, you've heard. It's just me and M tweeting. But also, wait a minute. If someone hasn't created a National Enquirer about just podcast stars yet, that's what this year is about for me. TM, 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 TM. Okay, no one else. That's us. That's you've me. never heard about it. The very first story, hot off the press, we are expecting. Oh. <laughs> Four years later. <laughs> but it's okay oh also sorry i know we have to start the episode but this is also the first episode ever not under the trump trump administration because we started in 2017 and trump had been nominated well this probably aligns with my depression it's making a lot of sense now but we started in 2017 so we have never done an episode under any other administration besides trump i know and looks like they're having i don't know what, what? an aneurysm <laughs> Are you okay? I never knew that. I never put that together. Whoa. Wow. So something good came out of Trump's administration. Got no, it. we'll okay. see how this goes. I mean, I hope we can do it. I'm a little Joe, nervous. Joe Biden on. might be our, uh, might be the, the end of it all for us. I Joseph. <laughs> Help. Joseph, get it to girl. Get it together. Okay. <laughs> um, hmm. Wow. So we're expecting and Trump isn't a part of it, which is nice. Trump's been does not have custody any longer. I love that. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so special. It okay. is special. It's wow. trash day. It's tr- our Collect- conception day. Is trash. Your fucking trash. <laughs> uh, okay. Yikes. Welcome to two oh seven. Apparently, two hundred plus episodes later, we're finally out of the woods with Trump. Yikes. <laughs> um, and I'm going to cover a story that has a lot of names to it. It is best known as the Cheltenham Chel. Fuck. Chel. Cheltenham. Cheltenham. It does have ghost. a lot of names. You've already said four different ones. <laughs> it's. English, so it's got that fancy like looking Cheltenham. name. How yeah. do you spell it? Cheltenham. Oh, yeah. Cheltenham is yeah. what I would say if I were and being it's... ignorant, which I am. <laughs> Welcome. Um, and it's called the Cheltenham Ghost because it is from Cheltenham, which is in Gloucestershire. So, I mean, like, <laughs> aka Gloucestershire. So, like, excuse me, England, with <laughs> your fucking Gloucestershire. Words. Who knows? You know it. You know it well. So the Cheltenham ghost, it's also known as the Pitville ghost, it's known as the Morton ghost, and it's known as the Denors poltergeist. Oh my. Um, a lot of names. They all have to do with basically like one of the basic facts of the story, mainly the location. So the reason it's called the Morton ghost sometimes is because up until 1948, the identities of the family were concealed until and that was the plan until everyone had passed away and then they would announce the actual names of the family members involved so their code name or their fake family name everyone knew them by was the mortons so that's why they were called the morton ghost got it so that's one explanation and i'll get through why they're why it's named the other basically the other names have to do with the location denor is the name of the actual house you know how like fancy houses have their own names oh yeah like mine the dilbert the Dilbert M&M machine. Casa. Yikes. I, we've Mansion. never come up. We will. Ever since we watched Charmed, I told Allison that this oh, yeah. apartment is called the Manor, which oh, I really. Manor, that's good. I really love that because they would always be like, oh, my God, there's another demon. Meet me back at the Manor. And I was like, I love that. The Manor. I was like, OK. And so I don't use it as often as I should, but maybe that should be my resolution for 2021 where anytime Allison's like where are you I'll be like the manor but also we're in a pandemic you fucking knew that so nice stop, try witch stop stinky witch the manor <laughs> wait a minute it's all coming together okay um 
anyway, so the house's name is Denor. So that's how Denor's Poltergeist comes out. It's also called the Pitville Ghost because it was on Pitville Circus Road. Didn't call it the Circus Ghost. That would have been more fun, but whatever. And then Cheltenham is because that's the part of Gloucestershire it's in. So it's all the basic facts. Um, so this has to do with the Despard family. D-E-S-P-A-R-D. So I think Despard. Despard? Sure. I don't know. The patriarch of this family is uh, Frederick Despard. Um, he's from Ireland. He's in his 50s. He's an army vet. And he is well-traveled, as you can tell by his children's birth certificates. They were all born between 1858 and 1876. And almost all of them are born in, like, totally different places. Whoa. I know one of them was actually born in... A few of them were born in Cheltenham. One was born in, like, Tanzania. One was born in... Oh, my God. I mean, so all over. The, the Channel Islands. Yeah, so just a fun fact for you. In 1858... The same year that his firstborn showed up, I suppose, Frederick's wife, his, her name was Rosina Meredith Despard, and she died from an unknown cause, but it was likely from childbirth from their oldest kid, um, who was their daughter named Frida, I guess after Fred. And then, so after his wife died, in the same year, he remarried to a woman named Harriet Ann Nixon. Great. So then they have children, Fred and Harriet. The first one's name is Rosina, I guess, after the first wife, which is kind of odd. Interesting. And then they have another daughter named Edith. They have two more daughters, Lillian and Mabel. And then they have a son, Henry, and then another son, Wilfred. Oh, I so, love all these old timey names. I, Mabel. That's it's fun. I know. I, like I love grandma names like Edith. That's just so much fun. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> You don't? Oh, I love it. I was trying to think of like, what's the most grandma name I could think of? And I kind of failed myself because I was like, I couldn't think of anything on the spot. Ethel? Agnes? Ethel, uh, Eloise? Eustace? Alice? <laughs> You're coming up with some wild ones. I'm yeah. trying to think of the most bananas old one. Fun fact, when Allison lived in Geraldine. Tanzania, Sorry. God, Geraldine. That's when uh, Allison lived in Tanzania, they would call her Alice. Because I, I guess like that name. That was also yeah. the name of my imaginary friend who was an old lady ghost, apparently. So, story for another day. I don't even want to. I do. You told know. me that. I what? said I had. A, I said I had an imaginary friend. Her name was Alice, and I started describing her. And I was like, it's really weird because our family friend Alice had just died, and you were like, well, what did Alice look like? And I was like, well, she had long gray hair, and you were like, Christine. And I, mean, I was like, uh, I don't remember the conversation, but I agree with myself. I'm pretty that- sure it was the week we met. Like we had, we had literally not even started the podcast yet. We hadn't even conceived yet. And you were like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Christine, yeah. I hate to tell you this. And I was like, no way. And you were like, Christine, listen to what you're saying. This is an old lady following you. So <laughs> I can't believe I wanted to conceive with you after that. That's the craziest <laughs> yeah, part. Listen, you knew what you were getting into. Okay. I was like, that's the one. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so they all have old people names. I do like the name Henry a lot. I love um, that name too so in 1882 this is where the beginning of like the real nuts and bolts of the story are so the family moves onto pitville circus road and they move into the denor house apparently the house had live-in servants a coachman a gardener so i would say they were pretty well to do i, I would as think a family. Yeah. at this point rosina the daughter is 19 she's more or less the main character I had a hard time understanding if she was the main character or if it was kind of her and a gaggle of her siblings that were a part oh. of the story. But she's the one that gets mentioned the most. So I'd say she has a little more star power. 
So she's 19 and the whole story really starts where one night in her room, she hears someone at the door and she thinks it's her mom and she opens the door to see what her mom wants. Now I'm going to tell you a quote that's kind of long, but what's fun about it is any quotes that I give you in these notes are all from actual reports from the SPR, from the Society of Psychical Research. Cool. So here is the first quote. This is what Rosina says happened once she opened the door to expect her mom there. I saw no one, but ongoing a few steps along the passage, I saw the figure of a tall lady dressed in black standing at the head of the stairs. After a few moments, she descended the stairs and I followed for a short distance, feeling curious of what it could be. I had only a small piece of candle and it suddenly burnt itself out and being unable to see more, I went back to my room, which I imagine is like, from a horror movie like oh no the candles burnt out and now the whole place is pitch black yikes yeah no thanks the figure was that of a tall lady dressed in black of a soft woolen material judging from the slight sound in moving and the face was hidden in a handkerchief held up in the right hand this is all i noticed but on further occasions when i was able to observe her more closely i saw the upper part of the left side of her forehead and a little of the hair above so just right at the forehead okay um and allison is walking in (gasps) while i record (laughs) you like glanced above the laptop (sighs) i thought it was the end of you she just barged in here like she owns the damn place okay <laughs> she's like this is my manor okay i am the stinky witch of this manor thank you yeah I, she's <laughs> i know exactly what she had to say and it was those words verbatim <laughs> um where were we oh yeah you could see her hairline basically the face was hidden in a handkerchief held in the right hand this is all i noticed but on further occasions i saw the left side of her forehead her left hand was nearly hidden by her sleeve and a fold of her dress As she held it down, a portion of a widow's cuff was visible on both wrists so that the whole impression was that of a lady in widow's weeds, which Mm. I will get into widow's weeds in a second. Okay. But yeah, so that was her experience, her first experience. So the figure was also said to have worn a bonnet with either a really long veil or a hood. And she basically looked like a woman in mourning. Okay. Um, And Rosina only told this to her servant, Miss Campbell. But her sister Frida also ended up seeing a woman in black later. Frida saw a figure crossing the hallway and Frida thought that it was a visiting nun. Oh, sure. That happens so, sometimes. You know, just my, my nun that walks around just the passing manor. through. Just goes through walls and up and down in the floor. Also, one of the maids saw a figure and thought it was an intruder. Uh, the youngest son, Wilfred, and his friend were on the terrace when they saw a woman in the drawing room, which hysterical, which we have those now. And the two boys, they saw a woman in distress in the drawing room sobbing. When they went into the drawing room to check on this woman and ask who she was, apparently the room was empty and the maid said that nobody had been there. So then in 1884, two years later, this is kind of like the real peak of their paranormal experience, all of the siblings. So Rosina is having a lot of paranormal experiences with this woman. She once even saw the ghost standing silently in the drawing room for 30 minutes straight. <gasps> Which like, did you time that? Did you take your eyes off of her? Did you walk and see her and a half an hour later see her again? I don't know if was she just doing this for 30 minutes? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> on minute 31, you were like, this is too much. I lost um, the staring contest. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so the sister Edith also said that this woman would pass her on the staircase. Ew. Okay. That's creepy. Cause you're like in a confined space. Like you have nowhere to go. A confined space where if you need to escape, you are falling down. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to break a leg. Yeah. There's no getting out of the way. It's uh-uh. Uh-uh, taking the through. Tumble. Yeah. <laughs> the only way out is through. <laughs> um, so Edith said, this is a quote from Edith. I saw it cross the hall, push open the drawing room door and go in by herself. Also like it. Uh -uh. I didn't like that either. Yeah. Uh So the most common thread about all of these sightings amongst the siblings is that they see a woman's face. uh, She's always dressed in black and she's always hiding her face in a handkerchief held in her right hand. Nobody ever sees her face. She's also always dressed in widow's weeds. So this is where I get into a very unnecessarily long fun fact. (laughs) Okay. As long as it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. It's just, there's a lot to it. So this is where we do a deep dive, if you will. Sure. So widow's weeds, uh, this is old English for the word uh, robe. Weeds is old English for robe. And so it was, widow's weeds was basically like the term at the time, like the Victorian era term for like your morning grieving attire. Sure. Here we go. Fun fact. Widow's weeds are most associated with Queen Victoria because she was known as the ultimate mourner. What could that mean? Christine asks to herself what as well as the mean? audience. So after Prince Albert died, so this is the, this is 1861. After Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria was so distraught that she only ever wore black for the rest of her life. And basically she was the reason that like mourning and funerals all started this like really black, dull attire. She basically like revamped in a way the funeral industry in terms of like clothing and accessories revamped it it's like like, even i loved funeral chic you know that was our our style in new orleans she is the original fashionista she is the tyra banks of funeral chic oh wow what an icon queen victoria she really had it in her um (laughs) and so because she wore black for the rest of her life everybody else started assuming that once you are in mourning you wear black. All, all, all you do is wear black. You accessorize We're both wearing black. black right now, by the way. We are in mourning of... Always. I'm not sure. Of garbage day. Of the, the We're not in mourning of that. Just kidding. No, we're in celebration. That's why you've got a little, you've got a little snap of neon on True. your shirt there. We're in funeral chic, which is not mourning. It's, it's celebration. No, the chic is what makes it right. chic, you know? Correct. So because of her wearing black dress for life and kind of being the catalyst in the funeral industry's fashion world, um, (laughs) cemeteries had an influx in certain monuments and symbolism and, quote, funerary accessories. During Queen Victoria's reign, traditional mourning was that a woman would wear widow's weeds for a very long time after someone they loved died, sometimes longer than a year after the death. Wow. And if a widow left her house, everything she wore and everything she brought with her, including like her purse, her earrings, her umbrella, her hat, her shoes, her buckles on her shoes, everything had to be black because that was the Queen Victoria way. Oh my. Fashion icon. And so even in 1840, this is just like a fun fact within a fun fact. 20 years before this happened, there was a work woman's guide that showed you how long you were actually supposed to traditionally mourn a person. And here's a dash of patriarchy for you. And by a dash, I mean a gallon. I was like, a dash? Okay. (laughs) So pretend you're in 1840. Okay. Got it. It smells real bad. (laughs) 
I can promise you that much. <laughs> well, there's no deodorant yet. That's for sure. No native. Um, no native. I don't know where my candy cane deodorant is, but that it's would not be here. so depressing without it. Uh, so okay, it's 1840. Blaze dies, right? Oh, okay. We're talking about wah, death here. Wah. What did you I for- think? I forgot. Happen? I was really like prepping myself for just like you take me on a, a ride, and you are. I'm thinking for a, a ride with a steep hill. Um, <laughs> so. If Blaze died, you would be expected to mourn. And by mourn, I mean wear these widow's weeds, never go out in public without wearing not only black, because this was 20 years before she had kind of made that rule, but go into mourning, not see anybody else, not date anybody else, not sure. really leave your home unless necessary. You would be mourning expectedly for two and a half years. Woof. If you died, here's the patriarchy, Blaze was only expected to mourn for three months. Oh, so rough. It's so rough being a woman. Ah. Um, so anyway, excuse me, I just burped. Um, this that- is <laughs> we're we're dismantling the patriarchy one minute at a time. So that's just a fun fact within a fun fact. So back to the 1860s with Queen Victoria just like really showing us up on the runway. While mourning her husband, Queen Victoria, because you had to wear everything black, she also started wearing. She didn't want to stop wearing jewelry. So she made jewelry instead of out of like diamonds or pearls or anything. She only wore jewelry made out of fossilized carbon. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Which makes it look like black glass almost. Cool. And so that was called apparently that combination or the the fossilized carbon. Its nickname was Jet. And so fun fact, that's where Jet Black comes from. No way. Yes. That's crazy. I had no idea. Funerary fashion. Fun fact. Quadruple F for Man. you. Oh, I love it. So Jet Black comes from the jewelry she used to wear when she was mourning her husband in the 1860s. Wow, that's fascinating. All of that basically to tell you that Queen Victoria is the reason that now when you see a woman in black, it is, especially as a ghost, when you see a woman in black, <laughs> it's, it's, it's mainly the thought is that, oh, she's in mourning or she's grieving someone sure. because of the fashion from then, which then makes me wonder. So pre 1860s, if we see a woman in black as a ghost, like, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. did she just really dig black? Was she ahead of her time? Maybe. Oh, or maybe she was just, um a spinster maybe but i would think fancy clothes only black i don't know (laughs) i don't know Um, well i do think it would be if i were to like pretend like i was an expert and like i was a historian in terms of ghosts if someone showed me a picture of like a woman in black I would like to look really arrogant and be like, mm, so it's it's post 1860s era because <laughs> obviously the funerary yeah. <laughs> fashion of the time, you know, so I, if you want to sound like a super douche, if anyone ever mentions a woman in black, you could probably bet that it was after 1860. <laughs> um, so uh Let's see. So that was just a very long-winded downward spiral of a fun fact. Love it. But to let you know that the main ghost that everyone is seeing in this house, and the only ghost that everyone's seeing in this house, they're all describing her basically as a woman in black. So if you want to be a historian, you could say this is post-1860s. And more and more folks are witnessing this apparition. It's not just Rosina anymore. It's not just the siblings. They're having visitors come in who are starting to notice this woman. And people are mistaking her for like a solid figure, living, breathing human being. She's like, there's no doubt about it. This is a living human walking around. And then the only reason they say otherwise later is because she disappears into thin air. So she was starting to get really comfortable around the family, I guess. 
And this setup where she was showing herself for like 30 minutes at a time became more and more frequent. So it was the people were just getting used to her just being in the room for 30 minutes at a time and then vanishing. Um, And as time went on, she also began to try to speak to Rosina. No, I don't like that. She's like gathering power. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. I was just thinking she was getting like comfy with the kids, like Mm -hmm. a like a Mary Poppins, if you will. But funeral chic Mary Poppins. Um, (laughs) So basically, she's trying to speak. She never actually does successfully speak before people get super creeped out. That's not what happened. I think that's almost creepier that she's trying to speak and can't like. Okay, you're not wrong. about. Listen, I don't know. I'm just making Uh, shit up left and right. But you're right. I feel like at least if she could speak, we would know what she wanted. Right. And maybe it would be like, uh, it's a beautiful weather outside. Like maybe it's something really <laughs> inane and it's like not even frightening. Excuse me, good madam. Um, my body is not buried in the right spot. If you could just move just me three the- feet to the yeah. left, I won't bother you ever again. <laughs> and then be like, oh, well, problem solved. <laughs> um, but no, so... I guess she was, she could not speak, but she would try to. Um, So this is another quote from Rosina. She came in the drawing room and walked to the sofa. So I went up to her and I asked if I could help her. The fact that you can approach her to me freaks me out because usually you see something from the corner of your eye, you blink and it's gone. Right. This woman sees you beelining towards her and she's like, what about it? You know, she's like, I can't (laughs) talk, but I can stare at you. I can sure as hell look at you. Hold my ground. Yeah. Oh, so I went up to her and asked if I could help her. She moved and I thought she was going to speak, but she only gave a slight gasp and moves towards the door. I spoke to her again, but she seemed as if she was unable to speak. So now this person is like gasping for air, trying to talk to you and it's not coming out. So goose cam. Um, So during this time, there were reports coming in from, again, visitors and the siblings that they were all hearing footsteps on the landing and they were feeling this sense of being stared at, especially one of the daughters, I think it was Edith, who would say, I felt an icy cold shiver and the figure bent over me as if to turn the pages of my songbook. So that's like... I was going to make a joke about that's not really Mary Poppins. That's more like Maria from Sound of Music, like making, helping you out with the, with the music. But uh, in terms of helping you with a songbook, I don't know if I would like that you're fucking with my stuff now. Yeah. Like, I feel like if this, if this person is just playing the piano or playing the guitar or something, and this ghost is now messing with your stuff, it's like, it's trying to interact with you, which I really hate. Yeah. And it's like getting better at it, which I also hate. And because it's solid, and now it can also touch things. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, it looks solid, but it only goes through things or it can't actually grab other solid things. It's like, oh no, it's able to turn pages for you. It's able to... Ugh. Wait, but did she say it did turn the page? I thought she said it looked like it was trying to or going to. As, as if to turn the pages of my song, but hmm, you're right. So maybe it just like acted that way and didn't actually... I don't like that she had the confidence that... No, certainly guess. not. She needs to <laughs> sit down. that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, first of all, don't touch my shit. I'm clearly trying to make music happen. Also, I'm pretending this is a recital and you keep interrupting. Also, don't come at me because like we, I think, innately should want to be away from each other, like have some distance. But you're yeah. getting, you're approaching me. Okay, with but an what intent. if, what if the song was, what if she was helping like, oh, the song's reaching the next page. So she was going to turn it for me, you know, <sighs> but still, I don't love it. I'd be like, I can turn she- it myself. Thank you. It would be super eerie if she was trying to turn the page to a song that like whose title had a message in it or something like, like, help me. I don't know what song. By Beethoven. (laughs) (laughs) Featuring Mozart. The Um, sonata. (laughs) I'm buried two feet, three feet to the right. Help. Right. (laughs) 
starring Maria from Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. <laughs> uh, so anyway, one of the main visitors, I guess he was a childhood friend, so he would come over to the house a lot, and therefore the spirit was getting comfortable with this guy also. His name was George Gooding. And he saw a lot of ghosts, uh, or he didn't see a lot of ghosts. He saw the ghosts a lot of times, sorry. But he also told the SPR that apparently the family dogs would act really distressed whenever he knew the ghost was about to appear. Oh. So that was like almost his, sad. Almost his cue of like, oh, the animal. Well, I mean, it makes sense to me though, because how often do we hear stories where animals are yeah. freaking out and then something creepy happens? Ugh. So he said that the dogs would always get really excitable, but the family cats didn't give a shit, which like surprise. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> one time, one time George actually got all the kids to form a circle and hold hands around the ghost, which sounds very seancey, but really the goal was to just corner her, which oh. is so stupid in my mind when like she's known to just vanish, vanish. into thin air. So they tried to corner her and then she just like walked through them and disappeared. And then they were like, ah, rats, like didn't work. <laughs> Back to the drawing board, I guess. So he did, he was onto something though, because this became a regular thing in the household where the kids would try to corner the ghost. That's a fun game though. It was very it's like hopeful. ring around the rosy, but like ring around the dead lady ghost. Ring around the, I was trying to think of what rhymes with rosy, but dead nothing lady specifically ghost. paranormal. The ghosty, ring around the ghosty. Yikes, sure. stop it take me out but this became a regular thing where they were trying to trap the ghost which means they were literally trying to build traps at one point and like they tried to use cords and trip the ghost they really didn't get it through their heads that like this thing was just going to walk through whatever they built. <laughs> they tried to trip it that's mean but they were like trying to come up with like little like kevin McAllister traps like to, booby traps <laughs> booby traps to try to catch this thing and then they were it never worked but so anyway, that became a, a common thread. And then in August 1884, this is like two years into them having such a regular bond, I would say, with this ghost, that it sounds like this is super frequent. But Rosina finally decides, okay, siblings, we're going to tell the parents about this ghost. This whole time, the parents didn't oh, fucking what? know. They didn't know? I thought this was like a like A, a family fam- affair. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Apparently the parents had no idea. It was just the siblings and this George guy and the animals and the visitors who thought this was a nun or something. So Rosina told the parents about the ghost and they surprisingly took it seriously. Like us. I mean, I'm not sure why I said surprisingly. Well, it is. I feel like most of the time parents don't seem to. Especially in like the 1800s. I just imagine them going like, oh, that's rubbish. And then walking away and then like getting on a horse and never coming home or something. That, I don't sounds, really... that sounds pretty accurate. Sounds historical. I mean, you are a historian. So like mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just say, no, no, that's not true. And then they go hang out with Queen Victoria. Um, <laughs> but the parents did take it seriously, which I guess we also would have done. And they go to the landlord about it. They're like, okay, so like, what's the history of this house? This is, again, another probably unnecessary deep dive, but the landlord gives a history of the home that says it was built in 1860. Hey. Hey, oh, same time as Queen Victoria's fashion came through. Oh, I didn't even put that together. I was like, cool. Why are you making that <laughs> hand motion at me? <laughs> and, uh, and apparently it used to be a market square garden. Fun fact. It was called Garden Reach. 
and Garden Reach had orchards and large lawns and it was super populated. Eventually the property was bought by a guy named Henry. Henry Swinhoe was his last name. Oh. Henry was married to a woman named Elizabeth in 1851. They had five kids. The wife died. He remarried in 1870. And this new wife's name was Imogen. And they would get into a lot of fights about oh. a lot of things. They were not a happy couple, specifically about how the kids were brought being brought up. Imogen didn't like that. Oh. Imogen also didn't like that when his first wife died, Henry didn't give her all of his wife's jewelry. Didn't that give was, Imogen all of his wife, his now deceased wife number, wife's. Wife number two was mad that she did not inherit wife number one's jewelry from the oh, husband. Oh, okay. That was like the big fight that they it's like. weird, but all right. I mean, someone's got to wear it, I guess. That was Imogen's thing. Apparently, Henry did still have the jewelry, but he hid it under the oh. floors. He hid it under the floorboards of the drawing room. Oh, <gasps> this is so interesting. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Thank I'm you. just thinking like all the, the theories of like what she's doing there in the drawing room. Anyway, I like to think that if I were like a math teacher, like that's the sound I would want to hear from all of my kids though. Like, <gasps> this is so interesting. But then that's, I'd be like, this is how the quadratic equation works. <gasps> but Honestly, if someone ever said like, oh, that's so interesting. I'd be like, you're being a shitty. I would literally be like, go to the principal, you little piece. Even if you meant it, it hurt me. So can you go? Yeah. (laughs) You don't need to mock me. Okay. (laughs) It's like, sounds very rude. That really happened. It took me a long time to figure out long division. I think I've discussed this before on the show, but I figured it out way too late in the game. Like by the time calculators were I have no idea how to do long division. I'll be honest with you. No. One clue. time I went on a date with a math teacher and on our first date, I was like, can you teach me long division? I wish I could learn it. Somebody teach me. It's it's the care. I can get to it to a certain point. And then it's like, wait, I crossing out and I carry something and I lose it. I can't, I can't remember. Well, I, I, I clearly forgot about it because then I asked this girl on the date about it. So clearly it didn't stick with me. But there was a moment senior year of high school where someone taught me long division or the math teacher taught me long division on a, during our break. And I went, oh, that, I get it. I get it. And I definitely looked like an asshole. Like, but really, I had just figured out something I should have learned a decade ago. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, I would have been impressed. I, I wish you could teach. I wish someone could teach me. Uh, let me call that person I never went on a date with again. Uh, that person you, you ghosted and <laughs> see if I didn't they ghost help. them. I'm just I, kidding. <laughs> I didn't ghost them. They were just weird as shit. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I made sure they knew we were not going to be going out on a date. podcast? That would they be really don't. awkward. Okay. They don't. And even if we do, she deserves to know that that was a terrible date. Um, <laughs> it was so fucking bad. Um, it was Pokemon Girl. Oh! <gasps> Well, you yeah. didn't tell me that. Yeah, Pokemon Girl was a math teacher. I did not know that. Uh, by okay, the way, woof. it's not meant to be an insult to Pokemon. Pokemon just got mentioned It's just a the lot. title. Yeah, that's just the title of this particular date. Pokemon got mentioned a lot during that date, and therefore, I just this know her as Pokemon Girl. One of the first conversations Em and I ever had, we were at the farm, uh, and we were like, so <laughs> what do you want to talk about? And Em's like, I guess I can tell you about this weird date I went on. That's true. I remember I remember we were sitting at the table. I, yes, I just got my- poppy loaf i was gonna say i just bought my poppy loaf so yeah pokemon girl is real fucking odd um yeah. anyway i hope you're doing well uh, <laughs> em rolls her eyes <laughs> hope you're doing well teaching math you did teach me long division very well that was probably the best part of the entire day <laughs>
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so... So yeah, Henry and Imogen, Henry had all of the jewelry hidden under the floorboards of the drawing room. And Henry also became an alcoholic. Some stories say that Imogen also became an alcoholic just because they were always fighting with each other. Apparently they were such a scandalous couple that newspapers were keeping tabs on their relationship, which sounds a lot like my National Enquirer idea for the pod. TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. I'll just, every episode or every uh, cover, it'll be like, Em and Christine fighting again and it'll just be like us like looking so scowling and then it'll be the, the tear in between our photos <laughs> explosive conversation heard by a source and that source is eva every fucking time it's always eva <laughs> always fucking eva anything for a story oh. um but so apparently the newspapers kept tabs on them in 1876 they ended up officially breaking up but they went to court a lot for very stupid things in the divorce petition, it said that Imogen had been known for drunkenness and decent language, which sounds just like any old friend of mine. And she <laughs> allegedly also would throw furniture at him. She also accused him in front of his children and the servants of cheating on her with one of the housemaids. Oh, boy. Um, she also accused him that one of the housemaids' children was his illegitimate child. And... Oh, and that she was, she also ended up being seen in the court as being super violent and unstable. So no one totally knew if they could believe her accusations. Meanwhile, Henry on the other side was part of a lot of slander cases for like, 
like one time said that the milkman was abusive to a, like the neighbor's dog or something. Oh. Um, he also threatened to shoot a boy because the boy assaulted one of his servants. He also went to court and was found guilty of putting a stick into a wheel of a stroller so like a baby would flip out of the stroller. Oh my God. He was found guilty, but like at the same time, it's like there were just so many wild stories. Like this is bananas. Who I mean, do you like, even side with? Get yeah. a hobby. Jeez. <laughs> he has one. It's called sticking a stick in a <laughs> stroller called- and watching babies flip. Like okay? catapulting babies down the road. <laughs> it's my favorite pastime. Jeez. Threatening to shoot little boys. Oh Jesus. my God. This man is very unstable, clearly. Off the rails. Anyway, whatever the official reason was for their divorce, they split up. Henry ends up living on this property for a few more months and then he died that same year. And then when he died, the house was renamed from Garden Reach to Pitville Hall because it was on Pitville Circus Road. And then at some point, Imogen also died really shortly after he died. The building was purchased again and was changed from Pitville Hall to being called Denor. And that's basically within that time, because there had been so much scandal in town about the couple who lived there, because they were both really unhappy and both died within the last few years of the house being purchased. And because I guess at the time, because the building's name kept changing so quickly, that was a sign of like it being held under different management or wanting a different reputation or something. So just all those things together gave the town a really bad feeling about the house that the property was like cursed in some way or haunted. It's like Cecil hotel trying to rename itself. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's not going to work. So, yeah, we still remember what it was called last week, dude. Um, <laughs> but uh, so basically all of those things together had the landlord give the Despard family, the house for a really low price because they just wanted to be able to sell it to someone. Sure. And they made the Despard family promise to like not, perpetuate any stories of the building being haunted because they didn't want anyone to like keep that reputation going but even though the family never said anything or maybe even didn't know about it until super late there were still servants that were quitting on the spot and fleeing the house because they were seeing this woman in black just showing up out of nowhere so even though nobody was talking about it there was still something everyone was seeing and experiencing it was in the inquire the national inquirer i wrote it myself so (laughs) i'm sure you did (laughs) uh and then also like i mean one example was that their neighbor heard a woman crying in the orchard and they thought it was one of the siblings who was visiting the house and I guess, I guess it was the oldest one, Frida. She was visiting after her, like, son had just died or something. Oh. And so the neighbor thought, like, oh, I hear Frida crying in the orchard because she's grieving her son. So he sent his son over to go check on Frida. And he said, like, oh, Frida looks like this. Like, I guess they'd never seen each other. <laughs> and was like, oh, well, go check on Frida. She looks like this. And apparently the woman that he described did not at all fit the description of Frida. And uh-huh. Frida wasn't in the orchard that day. <gasps> so he now saw and heard a grieving woman that everyone else had been seeing because it fit the same description. But now she's moving out to the orchard. Not oh, just God. In, She's in spreading. She's spreading. I don't like it. So what's weird is in 1885, the ghost became more transparent. So instead of being super solid, she's starting to be kind of see-through, which is My dumbass thought you meant like she became more honest about everything. <laughs> I was like, that's she nice. Really, she really started like looking in the mirror. You to know? open up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, so in 1885, she like physically start visibly was more clear Wow. Which is interesting. It's almost like her energy wasn't as strong anymore. Finally. Jeez. I was getting nervous. Finally. She was like growing and growing. 
Um, after, during that time, people started seeing her less and less. And by 1889, I think she just completely faded away. And then soon after that, even like the, the weird sounds like footsteps also started fading away throughout the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so by 1890, there was just no sign of her. Rosina also ended up deciding to figure out who the woman was because she wanted an explanation. And she assumes, she never got a full answer, but she assumes at this point that it was probably Imogen. Right. Um, for a few reasons and her specific ones were that Imogen is the only person who had uh, any resemblance to the figure everyone saw. The widow's garb that she wore didn't match Henry's first wife. So must be the second wife. (laughs) Um, And oh, sorry, there was a truck that went by. Um, Every time you like flinch, I'm like, oh, we're doomed. She's back. She's gained all her power. It took her 130 years. (laughs) God. Uh, apparently so this is another quote from her another reason why she thinks it's imogen although none of us had ever seen imogen several people who had known her identified her from our description also on being shown a photo album i picked out one of her sisters and said that she was the that she was most like the figure and we were told that imogen and her sisters looked a lot alike so if you're Mm. saying that this random woman looked a lot like the figure you're seeing and imogen Uh, looked her makes sense probably imogen Also, apparently her stepdaughter and others had told her that she, I guess, Imogen, her stepdaughters as an Imogen stepdaughters who they had found or made contact with said that Imogen loved the front drawing room, just loved being there. Well, she's looking for all those jewels under the floor. Exactly. Also, there's the note of like, hey, all the jewelry you wanted that tore apart your marriage is in that room. Others say that the ghost could be like the mistress of someone who lived there or something or like another housemate or something, but mostly people assume it's Imogen and the Despards, even though they moved to the house and that's when this big story of the ghost really showed up, people were seeing this ghost before they even got there, which was interesting to the SPR because they were trying to investigate this. And they were like, if it was all smoke and mirrors made by the Despard family, then explain why people were seeing it before they even moved in. True. That's a very good point. Yeah. So they did their homework and they, they tried to find as many people as possible who had seen the ghost before the Despards even moved in. Basically the whole neighborhood at one point or another, they'd all seen someone. Uh, they'd all seen a, a woman in black either walking down the street, turning a corner, up in the window, out in the Oof. garden. Everyone had seen a woman in black at some point. So in 1892, this officially became like a case that the SPR was working on because they wrote an account about this ghost called the record of a haunted house, which seems very vague to me. <laughs> but back then you could name anything, anything because it doesn't exist yet. Now I'm sure there's 10 right. Also, Yeah. Also because like they probably had a, a whole 10 articles and they were like, this'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the founders of uh, SPR, his name was Frederick Myers and I guess he lived in the area at the time. And so he was really interested in the case. And that's why he brought it to the SPR and they investigated it before any other accounts. So the SPR found that Rosina actually kept records, which is how they were able to pull so many quotes to put in their own report. So a oh, lot of their cool. reports are straightforward, direct quotes from Rosina because she had kept all of her accounts written down. She like kept notes of every time she saw this spirit. Right. And so that was really helpful for them to compile their own record. I said earlier that she never told anybody about the spirit except for Miss Campbell, who 
Some sources said it was her servant. Some said it was her friend. Maybe it was both. But so they were able to get all their information from letters that Rosina had written to Miss Campbell, which Mm. makes me think, hmm, why did they have to write letters to each other and be all hush-hush if they lived in the same house or if they were really good friends? And so there is the speculation that they were lovers. Ooh, okay. Spicy. Anywhere to bring the gaze in, I'm going to do it. Interestingly, this rumor again for the tabloids if you will i should just start my own spr i mean i'm part of the spr but i should make my own that's just the gossip mill of just like hell yeah but just like so you need to keep your spot in the spr but Mm -hmm. but keep this this part on the dl and then gather information as you go and then like keep notes and then later you can just like do a tell-all expose You you know what terrifies me is that when i joined the spr the person who i got my like congratulations letter from said like oh i listened to your podcast no no are you serious right now which which means the spr is keeping tabs on us man so what happens when you're i know you told me you're in it what does that mean like do you have to like do work for it or like no it's just an honorary thing so i'm part of the spr i'm also part of the aspr which is the american spr sure i'm part of the ghost club i'm part of the parapsychological association they're all more or less if you're really invested, you can do Zoom meetings. So I've done Zoom meetings with the Ghost Club and the SPR because historically those are the oldest ones and have, I talk about them a lot on the show. Like Harry Price was in both sure. of them, Houdini was in them. So like they mean more to me. So you just do Zoom meetings and people either share stories or a lot of them are scientists. And so they hold conferences and lectures on like the science of this or the science of that or like is it really telekinesis or is it, you know, it's like, <gasps> um, I'm so That's like so science cool. lectures. Just got chills. There's also like the real big perk that you get is that they all have their own like monthly journals. And so just like how I say, oh, oh the SPR put out a report, they still do that. And uh, every month we get like a, a new, basically a newsletter, a glorified newsletter, but it's like a science articles, like a journal type thing, like a journal Maybe. and like ghost club specifically is really liberal like, it's basically if you want to write anything, if you want to oh. write an article for the Ghost Club, go for it. And uh, people will post, there's like a whole section where people just write their own ghost stories. They're not like write fake ones, but they'll tell their own experiences. Are the memberships paid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's how the only way they can fund that makes it. Makes sense. But, yeah. But yeah, so they, it's basically just Zoom meetings and monthly journals oh, that you get from them. So cool. But you can submit your own stuff. They also do their own investigations. So, like, if you want to, Unfortunately, I can't be a part of the SPR one because they're literally not in America. Right. But if I ever were to be in England, I could go to like one of their chapter meetings or something or hop onto a cool. investigation if I wanted to. So, yeah. I'm so jealous. That sounds awesome. It's, I want to do like a Zoom with you to hear about the Zooms with them. They're surprisingly dry. I wanted it to be like um, like Ghostbusters, but like <laughs> it's very much like minutes, you know? So, Yeah. Anyway, cool. it's fun. I, I, I like it, but unless you're like in it for the also boring stuff, then probably shouldn't be a part of it. But if you are into that stuff and you want to be a member like me, join the <gasps> SPR or the Ghost Club or Parapsychological Association. By the way, a lot of them too, there's different tiers to what membership you are and you get different oh. access to stuff. It's like access to like different conferences and discounts to, I think one of them is discounts to merch. I don't think actually any of them have merch. Sounds like a Patreon. <laughs> it sounds like Patreon, yeah. But they're, it's like a very expensive Patreon. It's like, oh, I God. think 
there's one where like the top tier is like $500. Oh, wow. So it's like a donation to any society. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, like at a museum or something where you are like levels of contributor and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and the super expensive one, I'm not a part of that one. I think that's called the Rhine Association or the Rhine Society or something. Soros. No. (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't even say right such Um, a dumbass sorry but no that because jb ryan was a big guy and oh uh, psychical stuff so the ryan something i know that there's like a a tier there where i was like holy shit i'm never gonna pay that much i'm also part of mufon that basically yeah that was what i was gonna mention yeah mufon is i would say the most fun of them all because it's ufos and stuff but mufon also there's something i really want to do that i've told eva about but i don't want to say it too much because i don't want to like i do want to manifest it but i'm scared at the same time but apparently they have like um like an an invest like they train you to be a ufo field investigator (gasps) And like to do that. I really want to. I think it'd be like a cool little Patreon video if like I filmed my experience. Yeah, dude. It it. would be a cool (laughs) thing in general without even a video. But theirs is really fun because their monthly newsletters are actually monthly reports on how many sightings around the world. How have you never told me this? I'm like getting angry now. You're just like telling me these cool things you get every month. And I'm like, you've never like told me these things. That sounds uh, so fucking cool. A list the of UFO part, sightings in your inbox? I think there's a way. I think I did it when I first joined and then since then I haven't touched it. But you can you can like type in any city and you can see like all the history of the report since like the 70s. But it's Stop. I, I don't if you're part of MUFON, don't listen to this part. I don't think it's maintained very well. Like the website looks like it's like someone's grandpa handling it like the, the merch is has clearly not been touched since the internet was created. So like it's like. <laughs> it's it's fun but also like you have a lot of kinks to work around so okay i don't know i think if if all of a sudden they gave the job of handling all of the digital stuff to a bunch of 25 year olds it could really be something but i think right now it's hey you know what i'm I mean? not 25 but <laughs> i can work a square space <laughs> you know what i have thought about that i was like if i had more time in my life i would reach out to them and be like let me handle those for you yeah i'm but- over here like offering our services i'm like we can barely get like <laughs> an episode out that's not true but we can we have priorities let's put it that way anyway this is a very long-winded way to say the spr had about 10 articles in 1892 and uh that's why this record was called the record of a haunted house and one of the original founders frederick myers was interested in it because he lived in the area um most of the records came from rosina's letters to miss campbell the part i was trying to get to was that one of the members of spr is the one who spread this rumor that they were lovers um and that member his name was eric dingwall and i don't know if you remember that name but he is also the frenemy of houdini who ended up spreading a bunch of shit about him after (gasps) he died i did not remember the name but holy crap i think i am him reincarnated because i'm really loving the drama he pulls out of stories (laughs) you just spread it so when i die you're just gonna start spreading your stupid (laughs) gossip was actually an alien yeah because you're gonna have like full control of your gossip rag and i'm gonna be dead and you're just finally i'll finally gotten access to mufon's behind the like back end of their website and they'll just (laughs) christine's an alien anytime that you like search any city in their database it'll just be like sighting of christine cheaper (laughs) it's just christine she's the only alien well anyway eric dingwall was one of the people that when houdini died he said some like pretty mean shit about houdini Uh, i think it was either houdini or harry price but he wasn't 
the best like friends of them. Yeah. So anyway, in 1893, three years after nobody ever saw the ghost again, or at least the family didn't, the Despards moved out. Five years later, Denor was renamed again to Inholmes, I-N-H-O-L-M-E-S, and it became a boys prep school. After that, it also became a nunnery. It became a nursery college where you could literally go to school to learn to be like a nanny, which is cool. Oh. Um, it also became accommodations for the Diocese of Gloucester. And then it became apartments. Uh, I think it's still apartments and they're called St. Anne's. As Can you imagine apartments. though, like living in that apartment and it's like, oh, is this place haunted? Well, it was a nunnery, a boy's school, a, a widow's like home and with jewelry under the floorboards you like any possible literally don't get to speak when you're like oh yeah welcome to my fucking haunted house in cincinnati <laughs> first of all you grew up in that goddamn house behind a cemetery and like the bishop died in the elevator or some bullshit like that <laughs> what happened? you don't get yeah, to speak sort of <laughs> your house not have a name by the way it really should have some weird ass haunted manner wait what name. my house your mom's house it oh. should have some weird spooky mansion name i think it's a procter and gamble house or something i don't remember my house actually does have a name which i think i'm sure somebody just gave it like to be fancy it it's because of the owner the people who named it i'm not going to say it because it'll probably let you find it but it has like when they were trying to post it on like zillow and shit they were like giving it names like this ridiculous name which now i'm like okay they were just trying to make it sound fancy but i'll tell you about it later it's very weird well, anyway, you of all people don't get to talk when I know. you grew up in <laughs> a right, house. You're right, you're right. You grew up in a house as fucking creepy as that, which still looks like it's from the 1700s, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite pastime in our relationship has been going to your house with new people to show them how terrifying it is. To be like, <laughs> Lisa still has a video of going into the attic where all those things are written on all the walls and like there's just plaster falling out of the ceiling. And I'm so- like, this is my bedroom. And she's like, oh my God. One of my prized possessions in my phone is the video of, first of all, my first video ever of going through your house by myself because I woke up at 7 a.m. or whatever and I was like, what haunted saw set am I on? (laughs) And then the second video is bringing like Christine Maiden or Eva or someone or Christine Maiden. You had like a tour going. You were like charging 50 50 bucks a pop. It's like keep your hands and feet in the fucking vehicle because this is a scary house. Because there are like nails coming out of the walls and you're going to cut your hand open. Yeah. Um, but anyway it's very creepy i know you're right i take it back and also your your now house where it's like oh it's full of estate sale death items that's true and there's a staircase literally from an abandoned church so you're right listen i take it all back anyway the building or the property is now saint anne's apartment complex uh and in the 1970s a member of the spr who was collecting witness statements I guess he was an author writing about the case. And so he was collecting witness statements of various poltergeist activity around the area. And he found that at least 17 people had witnessed the woman in black recently. And over 20 people had heard weird noises on the grounds. Mm. Um, He also said that evidence of the woman in black or his like final word on it was that evidence for the woman in black, the evidence was still there up until at least 1985 one of them in 1970 was that a woman was taking her driver's test. Um, and when she was on that road in front of the house, she had to slam on her brakes. Oh. And when the teacher said why, she looked shocked because she was like, didn't you just see the woman in black Ooh. standing in the middle of the road looking at us? Ooh. And I ha- would have hit her. 
but she five, like four or five seconds after standing there she vanished away in front of the girl's eyes man she's just a drama queen this lady so as of at least 1985 there were signs that the woman in black is still seen today i don't know why she took like a hiatus when the family <laughs> like in 1989 maybe she comes back every hundred years or some bullshit but Anyway, that is the story of the Shelton <gasps> ghost slash Pitville ghost slash Morton ghost slash Denor's poltergeist. Wow. Ew, that is creepy. That was Shivery. a lot of record. That was a lot of information. Oh, barely any of it did you need? No, I love it. There you it's, go. Ooh, gives me the creeps, dude. Something about like the fact that she could like, you know what I wonder? Sorry, this is like going totally off the rails, but when like maybe she wasn't interacting maybe she was just like standing where she used to stand or something and people thought she could like see them or did they say like she really did interact with the kids and stuff i i guess the closest thing to interacting i can think of is when the piano oh yeah because what and if i'm like but the- i was gonna say also that when rosina was trying to talk to her and she couldn't speak that's true that's true that's true okay that's the most yeah because i was thinking about the piano like maybe it was a drawing room where there was like a place for a piano and so there had always been a piano there and she was just like she was just like it was like almost like her yeah her residual blueprint of walking towards them but Mm. didn't actually do anything but yeah i other than those two thing you're right and but also like for all we know like rosina just caught her in the middle of a residual blueprint of trying to talk and not talking true so there's no real proof that she was intelligently interacting with people. It could have all just been residual stuff. Man, she was creepy, though, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something extra creepy about that one. I don't know why. I think it's just the amount that she kept showing up in different places. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's just like, can you give it up already? Like, And also, like, it is interesting where like her energy was dying down at one point, yeah. but then she resurfaced in the 1970s. Also, it, it wasn't even... It wasn't even the 1970s. And 1970 was the driver's test girl. Yeah. And when the author was actually getting all of the information from people, what I saw online was that at least through the 1940s, 1950s, all the way through the 1980s, that was the range that he was able to find people who had stories. Oh. So, so if she faded away by 1890 and he was able to get new reports of her by 1940, that's only like a 50-year nap. I don't know. A <laughs> <laughs> nap. And for all we know, because it turned into so many things and so many people were churning in and out of there, that like maybe people had experiences, but like just up and left or moved and yeah. never got to report what they'd seen. I don't know. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so freaking creepy. Ugh. Anyway, um, if you happen to live in the St. Anne's complex, let us know if you see a, a woman in mourning. I would love to know if people today see it. That would be really interesting. Especially because now it would be, we're coming up on another like 50 years or so, right? I yeah, mean, true. Well, I guess in another 15 years, it would be 50 years. I don't even know if that well, matters. Well, the 70s, but... if it was the 70s, then we'd be like right in the 50 year mark right now. Yeah. So maybe people um, are, are seeing something. Well, also, what was I going to say? Um, also, since now it's an apartment complex, it's all split up. So it makes you wonder like, is she in certain parts of the house or like oh yeah where is the drawing board yeah who has to to live in the drawing room the drawing room and also uh it makes me think too with all those renovations like you would think you'd stir something up right true 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 true. and i probably think there's probably not a piano there anymore so maybe there's like a lady just bending over (laughs) what is she doing (laughs) do you imagine if you have a ghost and you're like yeah all she does is bend i don't get it (laughs) 
I don't know. She's she like, wiggles to... her fingers and bends. But you could really, the rumors in my tabloids could really spread something pretty powerful of like, oh, she went to tie her shoe and she never came back up. <laughs> You're seeing the final <laughs> moments of her sad life. Oh, geez. You are not, as a Gemini, you are not allowed to be. I'm sure there's a law banning you from controlling a gossip gossip. Maybe magazine. for Patreon, though, we could. I could make like a fake gossip newsletter um i'm pretty sure that's xenon's actual newsletter and you could probably add a section because xenon's gazette or the xenon gazette which is the patreon newsletter like could use a bit of gossip i think you and xenon would be a powerful duo i would happily do the the gossip uh... i think you should okay well there you go now if you would like to be a part of the xenon gazette and oh, you'd like to see my, my my gossip it's column, getting out of control <laughs> it's like, um it's like ask not ask, not dear Abby, in college in, at CNU. Okay, if, if you went to CNU at the time that I went to CNU, then you remember the very short-lived under the sheets column. Ooh. Where it was a sex columnist, and it was very ahead of its time. Was it you? No, but I was oh. always so jealous because the person was anonymous too. Because I'm sure they didn't want to like get like harassed or whatever. But like, because it's a small school, everybody knew everybody. But it was a column in our weekly newspaper where it would be like a Dear Abby where they would answer two or three X-rated questions. <gasps> and Fun. like, I mean, that was like what? I went to college like five, 10 years ago. The world was still, to me, a lot different in terms of sex positivity back then. Well, you're also in Virginia. I was also in Virginia, which I do think plays a role in this. <laughs> but like the column, I remember being like, whoa, I didn't know we talk about this kind of stuff. And I remember it like getting banned, like the column had oh. to end. So anyway, maybe Xenon's going to have a sex positivity column. Also. Coming from the person who just called themselves the most vanilla person on the planet. I don't think I'm going to let you very... run the sex column. Here's the real column where you hybrid them together, where it's the vanilla person trying to give X-rated advice. Oh, now this is becoming like its own <laughs> podcast or YouTube series. That would be very fun of like me trying to explain how supportive I am without knowing any information. <laughs> You'd be <laughs> like that supportive parent where it's like, dad just shut up like i don't like i get it you don't like, understand you you do you on that oh, God. on that on with all those things that you want with all to the do. sex things oh, God. <laughs> okay funny. yikes please tell me your story so i can stop talking okay good can i go pee real quick i'm sorry yes. i have to be so bad i drink sorry, a little london Eva, fog how long this uh, episode is i just got a text from tom my stepfather would uh-huh. you like to know what it says? Yes. It says, so your mother and I were talking this evening. Great. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> first, your first problem. Uh-huh. Since she is out driving every day, it's hard for her to have conversations with her mom. So I said, why don't you call your mom at six o'clock every night and I will exercise. And then we talked further. And I realized that when I'm at hockey on Mondays, because Tom is part of a hockey league. Sure, sure. Uh, I realized that when I'm at hockey on Mondays, I have no one to talk to on my way home. So your mom had a great idea that when I'm coming home at 1030 Eastern time, I will start giving you a call because I'll be done with Marvel Mondays at the same time. Oh, no, he knows your (laughs) schedule. Talk about winning the lottery. You didn't even have to buy a ticket. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) So good luck, Amethy. Apparently now I have a... uh, a phone date locked in for every a Monday weekly night. phone date with stepdad. And I will say a lot of people uh, on Marvel Monday have been asking me if I like the name Emothy. And apparently it's become a real thing. I what? do. 
I do very much like being called MFE, by the way. But like, I don't think you realize what you've done. Because I don't either, apparently. A lot of people, nobody calls me M anymore. Wait, if really? You go, if you go through my comments on TikTok, I have like a thousand people going, Emothy, Emothy, Emothy. Oh my <laughs> God, look what I've done. You've created a monster oh, and no. it's my own name. So <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to let you know how you're involved again Thanks. in my life. Oops. I love that I just like dip in and then dip out. And it's like, I've just wreaked havoc in your whole <laughs> environment. I'm so sorry. You're welcome. Oh, okay. Well, on that note. On that note, tell me, tell me a story. Tell you a tale. So this is the story. I've Okay, I'm doing this thing again where this is a story I've wanted to cover for a long time. This is the story of the murder of Betsy Faria. And okay. there was, <laughs> okay, <laughs> there was a podcast that was done by NBC Dateline and it was called The Thing About Pam. And it was like a true crime podcast. It was a huge deal. Um, and I listened to it. I binged it when I was back in LA like a year or two ago. And it's hosted by Keith Morrison um, of Dateline fame. And it's so good. It's so compelling. It's fascinating. And I always knew I wanted to cover it, but it was like a six part series. And so I was like, I don't ever know how to get that down. And the storytelling was so good that I was like, I don't know how to get this down into notes. Took me a long time to finally like commit to doing the story. Here we are. It's uh, it's the story of the murder of Betsy Faria. And I also listened to a Generation Y episode on this topic and they did a really good job too. So Ooh, okay, cool. here we go. Tuesday night, December 27th, 2011. Russ Faria, who lived in Troy, Missouri, went over to his friend's house for their weekly game night around 6 p.m. They watched a few movies, played a few games, and Russ left around 9 p.m. to head home. How old is he? Sorry, I know you just started this. I did not say how old he was. I am not actually even sure how old he was. Game night these Middle days age. could really mean any age. Oh, okay. Cool. Actually, you know what? Probably, probably in his 40s. His wife was 42, so... Oh, okay, cool. He was probably, I would imagine, similar age. Um, but he and his friends have been doing this game night for years. So yeah, I think probably like early to mid-40s is my guess, but cool. I definitely didn't write that down. So Russ Freya lives in Troy, Missouri, heads home around 9 p.m. When he gets home, he finds the body of his wife, 42-year-old Betsy Faria, dead on the couch. She had been stabbed over 55 times with her arms almost entirely severed from her body. Holy shit. Yeah. And there was the murder weapon, which was a serrated kitchen knife, was found in her neck. (gasps) Oh my God. Okay. And another knife was found under the couch cushions of the couch she was laying on. Holy shit. Okay. So Russ calls 911, understandably, and he is freaking out they played this 911 call in the generation y episode it's like him like hysterical shrieking crying sure. screaming and um i mean says, can you imagine if that were like no <laughs> like blaze you walked in and like you just didn't have fucking arms anymore truly Jesus. it made my heart or my hair stand on end i was like listening to him and i was like i can't fathom the scene so again big thanks to all the dispatchers out there because i can't imagine what that must be like truly um you must be good at creating a boundary bubble for yourself, which I'm not good at. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like dispatcher therapists need therapists, you know? Yes. Agreed. <laughs> just like a, just a lot, like a chain of therapists all the way to the top, all the way to the top. Yep. <sighs> so, uh, he calls 911, but while he's on the phone, he says, my wife has killed herself. And so the dispatcher oh. sends police and ambulance, obviously, 
And, you know, she's asking him, is she breathing? And he says, no, she's dead. She's dead. Um, There's a knife in her neck. So uh, investigators arrive. They conclude she's been dead for at least an hour, likely longer. Uh, And he had called 911 at 940. So just to give like a timeline here. Sure. However, with the 55 stab wounds and a knife in her neck, they were like, we're pretty sure this is not a suicide. Yeah. I have a hunch. You can't cut your own arm off when your other arm's already off. Yeah. Right. Okay. I didn't even think about that. Yes. That's like (laughs) probably the clearest argument of all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think. I think. think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, and and like with the one in the neck at the end, it was just like, it's just, what are you talking about? So, you know, they were. They were like, that doesn't seem likely. So, of course, he being the husband, he was pretty quickly the prime suspect in this murder. Uh, he was arrested the day after the murder. Um, they did a diligent search of the house. And in his closet, they found a pair of slippers covered in his wife Betsy's blood. Uh-huh. So, bingo, bango. They also used basically what they called his volatile emotion. Volatile? Volatile. emotional state (laughs) to to kind of pin that on him and be like he was erratic he was acting like he was too hysterical but i don't believe that stuff like i mean and in that if i walked in and you didn't have fucking arms and there was a knife in your neck and there was blood everywhere like what the fuck am i supposed to act like like no well and it's always like a lose-lose situation because if you call and you're like my wife has been murdered they're like you didn't even care and then if you call and you like start screaming they're like oh he's acting like there's yeah you're gonna be analyzed no matter what you're either there's only a complete on switch or a complete off switch in that case like hysterics or shock there's there's no in between yeah and they kept saying kind of like well he was able to when we interviewed him like he was able to just kind of like turn off the hysterics and talk like normally and i guess I'm like, that's yeah but odd. I don't know. but like also you're who knows what the fuck your brain is doing when if you're trying to preserve yourself or you're suddenly being interviewed by police and you just shut off the hysterics i don't know i just feel like it's not fair to say like this is how you're supposed to act when you're under the suspicion of your wife's murder you know because you're also thinking yeah. like well shit now i have to like defend myself I mean, my, I my first thought is like, yeah, I would be a complete fucking basket case if I yeah. walked in on someone I cared about looking like that. But then you're right. Like part of me might think like, because you're the one that found her, you're going to be one of the prime suspects. And then I would try to like play it cool while also having a fucking crisis. And like, yeah. then I look really shady. Well, And I feel like my body does that shutdown thing where I just like, I don't even react or care until later. And I like go into shock and like that's... self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like disassociation or dissociation. Sorry. Um, anyway, so whatever. So again, you're right. I don't really believe in that either of like, it didn't seem realistic or whatever. Yeah. But... I, I, I fall for a lot of stuff, but when it comes to like how <laughs> someone's acting, when they see their loved one yeah. like, mutilated, I'd like, I'm out. Like, I, I don't have yeah. an opinion on that one. I do find it fascinating when they do those uh, analyses of people's 911 calls and like the language they're using. And if they're not using the person's name or th- like, I think that's fascinating. Cause it's like the psychology of like language and things like that. I was going to say, it- can you, can you give that a shout out again? Because you did that really well with, um, the Netflix, the guy who's, who killed his wife and two daughters. Oh yeah. You called it something like linguist, like forensic linguistics. Oh yeah. Or I think it is for, I think it is forensic linguistics and they, I, I think you're right. That was, I remember being super intrigued by that. So just in case anyone wanted to look that up. uh, Yeah, it's so interesting. There are like websites dedicated to, um, let me look it up, forensic 911 calls. So there's a book called Analyzing 911 Homicide Calls. I know that. Forensic audio video analysis, 
yeah so i know there's a website on it i don't know it off the top of my head but it is interesting they like go through and an expert like linguist linguistic experts go through and say like you know she's calling about this person's her best friend's death but she refuses to say like the name of her friend or you know things like that and right. when uh, or she's like distancing herself in some way um and i know i know with the john benet ramsey case there's this whole analysis of the 911 call where uh her mom keeps saying i'm the mother but like it's right. just a weird phrasing you know so there's i think that's fascinating but like yeah you're right once it gets into like she's not sad enough or he's not emotional enough or he's too emotional right. it's like how do you even <clears throat> you know it's not a black and white thing yeah anyway yeah. so yeah so anyway that's where we begin but then they find a pair of bloodstained slippers in the closet and okay. yeah not a good look so next police bring in betsy's best friend and this woman is 58 year old pam hupp and they bring her in to be questioned so betsy the woman who was murdered was a mother of two she worked in a state farm office um, and she frequented as a part-time dj on the side with her husband russ and they owned a dj business called party starters Hey, hey, oh, raise the roof. Okay, now I'm the old dad. (laughs) That's where uh, that's where the bear and the gags. Oh, God, no. (laughs) That's where bear brings his basket of dried blueberries. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So Betsy had met Pam at work at the State Farm office. They worked in insurance together and they were close friends. So they had fallen out of touch for a little while. But then Betsy was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010. And she found out the following year that her cancer had metastasized to her liver and become terminal. And that's when her friend Pam kind of came back into her life and got involved again and started taking her to chemo and taking care of her. Right. So when Betsy found out how severe her condition was, she started thinking about like leaving her husband and daughters behind and started to worry about, you know, if she died, what would that look like for her family? So she worried that the worst would happen, that she would pass away and that they would, her teenage daughters would, you know, not be good with the money. Russ would quote, piss it away. Like she was just worried they wouldn't take care of themselves and that the daughters wouldn't have money when they grew up. Um, So Betsy made the difficult decision of changing the name of the beneficiary of her state farm life insurance policy to her friend, Pam, and did not tell her husband that she had changed the beneficiary from him to Pam. Got it. And she basically told Pam, you know, if I die, she this she was like, this is a timely thing. If I do pass away, then I want you to take this hundred and fifty thousand dollars and keep it in a trust for my daughters so that they are able to, you know, not quote piss it away, like she said, and sure. they're able to have it uh, as like a safety net growing up. So back to the day of the murder. Betsy had undergone chemotherapy that day and had then gone to her mother's house. Pam drove her home from her mother's house, making her one of the last people to see her alive aside from Russ, her husband. So according to Pam, she dropped Betsy off at her house at approximately 7 p.m., which was earlier than usual because apparently Betsy was really exhausted from chemo. She wasn't feeling well and thought maybe she had a bit of a cold coming on. So when Pam was interviewed by police, she told them that Russ had a, quote, violent temper. Uh, He was a violent drinker and had actually threatened Betsy before to the point that Betsy had considered leaving him, although she was too ill at this point to actually go through with it because of the cancer. And one of the stories that Pam explained, which is like pretty horrifying, is that I guess Russ would hold a pillow over her face as a quote game to try and, you know, 
I don't know. To have fun, apparently. To like, like, to like torture her, to like hold a pillow to suffocate her until the last minute. And, uh, and she would wake up apparently like suffocating on a pillow. So, you know, she's, she's saying like, this is a volatile relationship. This is, he's a violent man. Betsy was scared of him. Sure. Um, so Pam told uh, the police that Betsy had actually been longing to move back to Lake St. Louis, which was closer to her chemo treatments and to where her friends lived. And she'd actually already hatched a plan for her and Russ to move into her mother's house. And Pam said that that evening, Betsy had told her that she was planning on bringing the idea up to Russ. She was planning on going home and saying to Russ, um, hey, I think we should move back closer to my chemo, to my mom's house. And she basically told Pam she was terrified because he was going to be furious that she was like bringing this up. Um, This was not something he was going to be happy about. Yeah. So Pam said she felt guilty about leaving Betsy to face her husband alone because Pam knew how violent he was. Um, And then as part of their investigation, police found Betsy's laptop and on it, they found this sort of like diary document that she had left like a, a word document and yeah. uh, it was Betsy's kind of journal entry talking about how afraid she was of her husband. She even included a section where she described being terrified that he was going to murder her. Okay. So this is all like panning out basically as like they got the right guy. It sounds so far pretty straightforward. Yes, exactly. I mean, and it, it just, it, yeah. I can't imagine there being a twist to this currently. Yeah, it's it's pretty like open and shut case from the start seemingly. Yeah. So on January 4th, 2012, which was the day after Betsy's funeral, Russ was charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action. And he was held, he couldn't meet his bail of 250,000. So he was held in jail until his trial began nearly two years later in November of wow. 2013, which okay. blows. <laughs> yeah, that does. Um, so during Russ's trial, his defense attorney argued that the timeline just didn't add up for him to have murdered his wife because he had the testimonies of the four friends that he had gone to game night with who all said like, no, he was with us from six to nine. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying like she was dead over an hour when he called police, like that just doesn't add up. Sorry. Over an hour before he had called 911. It just doesn't add up. He also had receipts. He had made multiple purchases from different gas stations and an Arby's throughout the course of the evening, like on his way home from game night. So they were like, this just doesn't add up. Like he had, receipts he had an alibi four different friends say he didn't do it he was with them it also feels though like with receipts like that it feels like you're trying to get an alibi so that's part of what they argued yeah because the prosecution said well why would you go to two separate gas stations in one night but he he argued this one gas station has better gas prices and this one has the cigarettes I like. So he was like, this is a normal thing. I go to this gas station for gas and I stop at this one. This one has better snacks. So sue me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and he went to Arby's also. So this is what the defense is saying. Like, no, look at his timeline. Right. And then the prosecuting attorney, whose name is Leah Askey, and she comes back in a picture. She countered this argument by saying, well, it's a little obvious and like you said, and she believed that Russ's friends were providing a false alibi and they had been in on it and had colluded with oh, him to carry okay. out the murder. So she's arguing that one friend went to Arby's to pick up uh-huh. a receipt. One friend went to the gas station One, you know, to while he actually went home and murdered his wife. And then they all said, no, we were all playing games together. So that was the prosecution's okay. defense. Didn't even think about that, but okay. Or not prosecu- prosecution's argument. Yeah. Right. 
I, had, I didn't even think that like I would have thought that like maybe the friends were like saying like no he was here when he wasn't but I wouldn't have thought like oh right. they are they're that deep in where they're getting you and they're, they're actually an involved <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> like they actually are criminally involved in this murder yeah exactly so that's what she's arguing sure. um so on November 21st 2013 Russ Faria was convicted and on December 22nd he was sentenced to life plus 30 years in prison and sent to the Jefferson City Correctional Center wow the end just kidding I was gonna say <laughs> But my fear now was like, since he's already been tried, wouldn't that be double jeopardy or something if he gets tried? No, so double jeopardy is when you are tried and found innocent or not guilty, then you can't be tried again and found Uh guilty. Okay. If you are found guilty, you can appeal and get a retrial and fight for your innocence. But oh my gosh, you're a lawyer. Wow. (laughs) Renee's like, somewhere is like, don't even fucking start, Christine. I just Christine graduated and took the bar. Esquire, <laughs> Schieffer. Wow. I one time joked about that and Renee was like, I can't joke about like titles like that. I get in really big trouble. I was like, sorry. Oh, yikes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Renee, the attorney. She's like, I'm not an attorney yet. Please don't say that because I'm going to get in trouble. I was like, okay, my bad. Isn't Esquire though, like the official thing you get to put at the end if you're... So I looked it up once. Uh- <laughs> I would literally be one of, I mean, it's the most Gemini thing I could possibly think Put of. every I would, title. I would literally become a lawyer just so I could say Esquire. Yeah. Well, so Esquire is apparently what you can put even if you don't pass the bar, I think. But you put JD, I think, if you have Oh, the, right. I don't right. know. I looked it up once because I was like, I would love to put Esquire, but apparently that's just not a thing you do. So Well, I didn't like, pass oh. the fucking bar. Can I be an Esquire? Mm, certainly not. I am. Okay. Certainly not. Never you could mind. spell it wrong. So I'm an Esquire. I, I'm an Esquire with a K. Get over there. <laughs> and a W. Esquire. <laughs> and a heart over the I. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, double jeopardy is basically like if you're found not guilty, you're clear. They can't charge you with that cr- specific crime again. Got it. Um, okay. So, right. So he's sent to, uh, sent to prison. The end, not really. Although the prosecution had said, like, oh, Russ's four friends were in on this murder, they colluded with him and they were part of this murder. Uh, for whatever reason, nobody ever brought any charges against them. In fact, the four friends hadn't even been aware that they had been accused by the prosecutor until a reporter told them later. Like, how do you feel about being, uh, you know, named as colluding with him on the murder of Betsy Faria? And they were like, wait, right. what? Like, yeah, they had no yeah. idea that was even happening in court. So as <sighs> much as the prosecutor said, like, oh, they were in on it. Like, nobody, like, went and filed charges against them, which is a little bit odd, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yep. So in January of 2014, Fox partnered with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to explore the case, and they basically wrote this expose, and they released it the following month, and the expose is where shit gets just bananas. So first of all, the expose revealed that the $150,000 life insurance that Pam had received had not gone into a trust for Betsy's daughters as Betsy had wanted, but had actually stayed in Pam's little pocket. Oh, oh, okay. She immediately, four days after the verdict came through that Russ was guilty, she dissolved the trust immediately and took the money for herself. Not Mm. a good look. Not a good look at all. No, 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 no. no. But she did have a reason. She said she had been going through a really hard time. Her mom, who has suffered from dementia and arthritis, had died by suicide only three months before this expose was launched. Yikes. And that plus the loss of her close friend, Betsy, she sort of had her reeling and she was just like scared, et cetera. Okay. But the expose also exposed some other interesting nuggets of information. 
nougats okay <laughs> some nougats <laughs> so investigative reports featured an interview with the 911 operator who had taken russ faria's call and she stated that although the police described russ as emotionally volatile she believed his hysteria was fully genuine and she was like if anyone had asked me i would have said like no i th- i don't think he was faking it at all like i listened to a lot of these phone calls right and i'm pretty sure what he was acting was legitimate yeah which obviously doesn't prove anything but it's a point in his favor so next one which is a little more damning the expose also claimed that prosecuting attorney leah askey so the one who said like oh russ's friends made up this timeline and one went to wendy's and one and you know she she was the one saying like russ is guilty and put him in prison so leah askey the attorney had actually been in a relationship with Mike Lang, who was an investigator on the case and actually was uh, testifying in the trial. So they were like secretly in a relationship. So, you know, she wanted to win this case. There is the possibility that she said, like, I want, I need you to testify and help me win this case. Obviously you'd hope that didn't happen, but they also hadn't revealed their relationship to anybody. So it's just really sketchy that she was dating a police officer who, happen to be heavily involved with the murder case it's just yeah, like it's not that cute. shouldn't happen no it's yeah. like a conflict of interest <clears throat> times a thousand. Oh yeah and especially since they didn't tell anyone it's like well that's extra shady you know yeah this is the time to be completely uh <laughs> yeah. about everything <laughs> put that... your cards on the table <laughs> this is not the time for secrets no not really and he actually was also the captain of investigations for the whole sheriff's office so he had a lot of power oh he had a lot okay. of information you know it's sketchy it's sketchy so two members in the jury actually found this out and went to report went to the media and said like hey nobody as the jury we found him guilty but nobody told us she was dating one of the witnesses and a guy involved in the case and so they were pissed because they were like well we should have known that if we were you know trying to determine this man's fate as a jury like we want to know so they were the ones who actually flagged this to the media and so essentially yeah all that but things only get even crazier because on august 16th 2016 oh my god this is just like where what? i'm listening to this original dateline and i I remember being in target and going oh i'm just like what's happening what? okay pam survives an attempted murder on her life okay, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> just get ready so August 16, 2016, she's sitting in her car in the garage when a man with an armed knife accosts her, demanding she drive him to a bank to retrieve, quote, Russ's money. So luckily, she was able to knock the knife out of his hand and run into her house, but the man chased her. She grabbed her gun, which she kept on the nightstand, and shot him in self-defense. Whoa. She immediately called the police, who searched his body and learned that he was one Louis Royce Gumpenberger okay i know mr gumpenberger a resident of st charles missouri and on his person they found a note that had the following instructions handwritten on it it said kidnap hup and that's pam's last name kidnap hup get russ's money from hup at her bank and kill hup take hup back to the house get rid of her make it look like russ's wife make sure knife sticking out of neck i like how you okay Someone is clearly new to the team because like <laughs> if you needed instructions of like, okay, kidnap. Yeah. Yeah. Kill. Step oh, one. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. Kill, kill. Yeah. Like you couldn't remember that. Like that's what you were fucking there to do. Yeah. And so the point of this letter was like fully clear instructions of how to kill Pam, make it look like Russ's wife, get Russ's money that he belonged to him, quote unquote, 
All it does, all it does is like make it clear that it was like at least not the original suspect from the first murder. Like, because in my mind, I mean, you're looking at me like I'm well, crazy so the, here. Well, no, no, because no, I'm wondering because the the way they looked at it was like, well, this would be Russ giving these instructions saying like, get my money from the bank that like, I right. want you to get my money back that Pam. I'm just saying me. this, like this clearly is this person did not kill the last person because like the fact that they need a to-do list to replicate it makes it seem oh like- no so actually nobody ever thought that he he's not even um oh my gosh i don't even this know how to phrase this this guy's just like in the in the mix all of a sudden they just think that this guy has been hired by russ to okay. murder pam to get his money back since- so we're on the same page okay cool, cool, cool. yeah yeah so i mean that's not necessarily what they think but that's what at least this is meant to portray let's put it that way like that's the image that was meant to be created with this note and got it but it could but also this could have been russ or the real killer planting his own to-do list so it looked like he was a new guy on the block when he could have been the original guy is that one of the options here just continue just continue just continue sorry (laughs) maybe i don't know sorry Sorry. it doesn't we're gonna find out the answer so why am i even fucking trying involved in my head that i or like have read this so many times that I'm I'm just not even able to comprehend. I'm sorry. No, it's I'm sure I'm not getting my point across clearly. It's all so. But this is why I was so afraid to cover the story because it's so fucking confusing and like all of this is overlapping in different timelines. And so the way Dateline did it was so like woven into itself and like interviews. And I'm I'm just so I just I love them so much. They're so take talented. it away. I love you, Keith. Okay, <laughs> so. All of this, these instructions that this man, Gumpenberger, had apparently, this hitman basically had been given, uh, were supposed to be rewarded with $10,000. That was what was written on the note. Like, for $10,000, this is what you have to do. Like, so, like a recipe list. $10,000. <laughs> one, one dash of kidnap and then two cups of kill. Knife yeah. in neck. But yeah. it's like one of those blogs where it's like the first 10 pages are like, I lived on a farm and I love uh, whipped eggs. How about you? Leave a comment below. It's like, it's okay. Like, my my favorite pastime is playing games with the boys. And, yes. <laughs> and then going to Wendy's after, clearly, but at a different gas station for my cigarettes. You know, my, my son doesn't even know it's not real beef. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know where I'm going. Um, so... The reward money was allegedly, in this note, $10,000. So in his pocket, police find nine $100 bills. But things get even weirder because then they search Pam's house. And uh, on her dresser, they find a $100 bill. And to make matters even eerier, the serial number matched the bills found in his pocket. (laughs) Okay. Got it. So this is someone's first kill also. (laughs) Yeah. So basically she has a bill and the odds, because she's saying I've never met this man before in my life. The odds that this man's in her house to kill her and she happens to have a sequential bill to the ones in his pocket are so extraordinary that they were like this, the odds of this are not, this is not a coincidence that she happens to have a bill that matches his serial numbers. Like it's ridiculous. So something was obviously off and police were like, okay, this is getting a little fishy. So they did more research into Pam and cell phone records actually showed that Pam had been in Gumpenberger's neighborhood less than an hour before this alleged attempted kidnapping. And she was like, I've never seen this man before. I don't know who he is. She was literally like on his block uh, within an hour, which makes no sense. It wasn't like where she lived or anything like that. On August 10th, 2016, a police report had 
been, so this is about a week earlier, a police report had been filed stating that a woman, a mysterious woman matching Pam's description had approached a local resident named Carol Alford and had posed as a Dateline NBC producer and offered her $1,000 to reenact a 911 call. (laughs) And so Hmm. this woman, they interviewed her on the Dateline episode, which they fucking ate this shit up because Dateline was like, she was pretending to be one of our reporters. Like they were just so thrilled about the fact that like, because in the description for the podcast, it's like, and learn how Dateline got sucked into the story of the murder. Because like fangirling about their own show yes, being involved. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, she thought. She okay, but to be fair, us. if someone like, I mean, not like, I hope this doesn't happen, but like if someone were to involve reenacting and that's why we drink. I know. You know, it is very meta. It's I'm very with meta. you. I think it's like really fascinating. And so of course Dateline snaps this story up and it's like, we're going to like milk this. And they did a great job. I'm not, I'm saying you and I would do the same. I agree with you. Right. Um, but it's very funny because, so this woman had called police and been like, yeah, this strange lady like drove up to my trailer and said, I'll give you a thousand dollars because we're trying to reenact a 911 call. I just need you to like say this audio and then I'll give you a thousand dollars. So they had security camera footage and it showed that the woman, the mysterious woman had been driving Pam's car. So they couldn't make out the person, but they saw the car and were like, well, that's Pam's car. So it's starting to fit together. Right. Did you hear that? What was that? That was the cats running down the hallway. Thank God. I thought it was something that was not alive. I thought well, it was a- <laughs> They're very much alive. Both of them just hurled their bodies into the room. They oh, chase each other a lot. It's so really sweet. obnoxious. <laughs> so oh, boy. Great. If you hear that kind of sound in my room, be more afraid because <laughs> it's not I alive. <laughs> don't have animals. I'm sorry in advance. Mooney's doing that thing where he's like pretending he doesn't see Junie, but he's definitely like ready to pounce. Okay. That's fine. So they also discovered in when they were searching Pam's apartment that her they had a swatch of carpet that appeared to have been positioned to protect a rug in Pam's house from getting blood on it when Gumpenberger was shot. Goodbye. Okay. So I was like, oh, I don't want to ruin my nice Wayfair rug in the process. So okay. not also not a good look. But on top of all this, police were like, Gumpenberger himself would not have probably would not have been able to commit such a crime because following a car crash in 2005, Gumpenberger had actually suffered from severe mental and physical impairments, which made investigators very skeptical that he would have been able to carry this out by himself. And so they were like, on top of everything else, he was just working a job trying to provide for his family. This seems really unreasonable that this man would get stuck in like sucked into this high stakes hitman situation it just doesn't fit um then investigators found that the knife that gumpenberger had allegedly used to threaten pam had been purchased at a nearby dollar tree in pam's neighborhood alongside several other items they found in pam's house so the receipt basically had the knife and then a bunch of shit that was i don't know like her her new glasses i have no idea but her (laughs) her reading glasses i don't know what it was but they were all found to be from the same shopping right. trip at the local dollar store. Yeah, so it's not looking good. No, it's, it's suddenly turning very quickly against her. So all of this was so compelling that police determined Gumpenberger's innocence. Unfortunately, obviously, he had been killed. Um, and on August 23rd, 2016, Pam was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action against him. So the prosecuting attorney uh, and the chief of police basically theorized that Pam had done the same thing and lured him to her home by presenting herself as Kathy, an NBC Dateline producer, and offering to pay him to reenact a 911 call. And then when he arrived, 
she killed him in cold blood and pretended he had threatened her and was coming after her and then planted this note right then they were like well why would she plant a note mentioning russ like this is a totally strange like it's suddenly like pulling back to the old case i guess so but i feel like it could i could easily explain it away to me it would make sense of like oh well you're just trying to redirect like who the original person was like it it had nothing to do with to do with me it was always Ross yes so that is that is literally exactly what she was doing but at the time they were still convinced that they had put the right guy in prison because it seemed so clear cut that it wasn't until now that they were thinking wait a second like maybe we got this all wrong so I mean exactly what you're saying like why would she write Russ on it well clearly she was trying to like she felt like things were turning a little bit toward her and she was like aggressively trying to push them back at Russ yes unfortunately doing the opposite clearly um so when she was arrested this is a little bit horrific uh she asked to visit a bathroom and then she used a ballpoint pen to stab herself in the wrists and the neck uh but wow think of the commitment like it would be yeah it's like a heinous thought if i thought i have to stab myself in in the heart wait what no no no, sorry in the wrist and the throat which also is that's still terrible yeah the throat is terrible if the if the options were go to jail or stab yourself in the throat, I'd be like, I guess I'm going to jail. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. I would just end up like drawing on myself. Like it wouldn't yeah. work. Yeah, I would, or I would like do a test round where I just kind of like poked at it and I'd go, ow. ow. Oh my God, <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, oh, I, uh, I know. there's no way. There's no, no way. So basically, also, like, this... ha- sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry no, no, also, go ahead. Like, the forensics, not that I'm like, you know the hot shot olivia benson or anything but like <laughs> well none of us are. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could very quickly see like based on how it went into your neck if you stabbed yourself like, oh no she wasn't trying to hide it she was just trying to like get out of the you know how sometimes I, when people are cornered they do this like desperate move yeah of, like well you can't catch me if i'm dead sort of thing gotcha okay so that makes the, more sense. the the theory is that she was basically cornered and desperate and there wasn't really much sense to it except like I'm going to take myself out before you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. But it didn't work because it was a plastic pen and it didn't actually really do any harm. So anyway, all all that to say she tried and it didn't work. Um, So they were like, but also now, now they're looking at her like, why the hell did you just try to stab yourself in the throat if you're innocent? You know, exactly. Right. right, Not a good look. So bail was set at $2 million for her. And on December 16th of 2016, a grand jury indicted her for first degree murder and armed criminal action of Gumpenberger. But of course, now there's still that untie that loose end of like, well, why did she do this? We need to like figure out where this came from and what it's like pointing at, basically. Right. Um, So meanwhile, Russ is still in prison for life. Um, And as this is all going on with Pam, this is what's kind of been happening on Russ's side is that his attorneys are continuing to contest his guilty sentence, saying he had nothing to do with it. And then in July of 2014, Betsy's daughters, Leah and Mariah, sued Pam for their mother's money because they were like, hello, that was supposed to go to us. You even said it in the trial that that was our money. And now you're just like owning it yourself. This is is of all the trials, probably, I think, the easiest one to just win. Yeah, you'd think so. Right? Well, but she had signed it over to pam so it was all like hearsay you know what i mean oh okay so it's a little bit like he said but also okay i mean we could fight about that forever i would just be like well who would believe that like this woman like just gave all the money to her own friend and not her children but like well you'll see what she comes up with because there is a theory i know because because people were wondering that exact thing don't worry she has an answer 
so great she seems to have an answer to fucking everything she does and it's usually pretty stupid it's also always a really obviously bad answer it doesn't make any sense yeah (laughs) so they did this civil trial where the daughters are suing her for their money back for their mother's money and when pam was asked on trial whether betsy had mentioned that she wanted the money to be used for her daughters pam in a major turn of events said absolutely not and obviously this completely contested what she had said in the first trial of like, I did this for her. She wanted me to take this money to give to her daughters and take care of them. So anyway, on February 24th, Russ Faria's case was remanded in June. It was decided he would get a new trial to reassess all this information. And luckily for lawyers on Russ's case, they received a new videotape police interview with Pam where she tried to explain why Betsy had left her all this money. Okay. Yeah. She told detectives that she and Betsy had been lovers. God, why are there two sets of lesbians in this? I know. This episode is really just extra scandalously gay today. When you said it earlier, I was like, ah, but I didn't want to spoil it. Oh, I thought you were just excited that I mentioned lesbians. Oh, I was. (laughs) I was like, who wouldn't I was. I was just extra excited that I had a a parallel story to bring up. Uh Um, So she says, neither of us were lesbians, to be clear. But trauma had made Betsy hungry for a sexual relationship with Pam. So Pam, quote, replaced what a husband would be. It was a small, small thing to give her. So Uh, wait. So they were. (laughs) Hang on. So wait, they were not gay, but doing everything that would be defined as gay. That's right. Okay. Well, and also she said she was only doing it to, like, take care of her dying friend. Who, like who, like sex like sex stuff yeah who had a terrible husband and was like wanting for fulfill sexual fulfillment so she now gave that's that to a her. good friend right there yeah right i know but that's get this a best friend okay well yeah. not quite because apparently well. one of pam's acquaintances literally snorted when they heard this saying pam- would have snorted in that uh, courthouse or that that room so it was like oh no no we're not gay we're just doing really gay shit and like also like we're sleeping together but we're not gay but like we sleep together but we're not gay hey, but... but i have to tell you why she snorted it's not that what wasn't you think. why no what? because pam was a fucking raging homophobe so like oh. she's literally making this up and her friend is like that no. is even more hysterical that's even more hysterical. so apparently this friend of pam said pam was the most homophobic homophobic person i'd ever met She'd say, that's not normal. That's not right. Anytime somebody talked about like any sort of homosexual relations. And so the friend was like, that is bullshit. Like she would never, she's making this up as like a last ditch effort to be like, oh, we were lovers. I'm, I'm not gay, but we were lovers. And that's why Betsy wanted me to have this money. But like, speaking she was of, making speaking it Speaking of up. my gossip tabloid, like this would oh. be the funniest frontline news ever i know if someone wasn't like stabbed 55 times it would have been very funny but it would be it would be extra funny if the person who like snorted was very gay like who was just like yeah and that's that's rough because it literally says like her close friend and i'm like well that's rough because if you're their close friend then you and you know they're the most homophobic person ever then like you're not keeping very good friends in my mind no you don't love yourself honestly you're not you're you're kind of homophobic yourself i would imagine if your best friend is I feel like without even having known the context, I mean, look what happened. I mean, I just like hysterically laughed, like <laughs> without even knowing the context, if you were in that courthouse and you heard someone use that as the, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like I'm gay, but I'm not, but like, I'm, I mean, I would have just, 
I would have heard one person snort and I would have just, <laughs> everyone would have fucking lost it. I'd have been like, okay. <sighs> and then I would have been banging the gavel, like order in the court. <laughs> Sorry. That was like such a small thing, but like, it just really tickled me. I know. And it's such a bummer because she really just fucking used like being gay oh, as an excuse of like, it's such a it's, fucking bummer. It's like, it's it wasn't even terrible. Real. None of it was even true. She just was like, she was like, I'm going to even throw my own beliefs out the window and pretend to be like the most heinous thing I know, which is a lesbian, quote unquote. To, no, like, it's terrible. Keep this money. It's funny. It is funny. It's terrible, yes. but it is funny. It's ridiculous <laughs> because we know it's ridiculous. Like uh-huh. if she had really played this ruse and it had worked, like that's one thing. But people were like, okay, right. lady, like you're getting... Like- Set the fuck down, you yeah, yeah, straight, yeah. straight, stupid woman. Yeah. You straight, stupid woman who hates gay people. Sit yeah. down. Yeah. So anyway, the snorting happened. She said she was a lover of Betsy's and that's why she deserved the money and wasn't giving it to her daughters. Um, and I can just imagine Betsy beyond the grave being like, sorry, what did that bitch just say? Like, also, we imagine the kids, the kids being like, truly. I mean, yeah. all the trauma they've already gone through and now it's like, oh, and now apparently my sick mom was having a lesbian affair with this woman who she didn't even, you're saying love, but like, but you could offer her, you could, you could serve her better than our own father. Yeah, like well, or her husband. Her husband. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh god. my God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not quite. Oh my God. Oh my Yuck. God. Okay. Yes. Um, husband. Husband. But also, yeah. And it's, you're right. Cause it's extra icky. Cause she's basically saying like. We're not gay, but like she wanted this, and as a friend, and she was dying, and as a friend, I just gave it to. It's like, ew, don't be such yeah. a fucking. And she gross. she wanted it, and like her own husband couldn't offer this. Yeah, you know, like, it's extra gross. So it's just yeah. a real f you to the entire family structure. Completely, to, completely. To these kids, at least, yeah. and the husband's like in prison for this. So basically, they're going back on trial, and Russ's lawyers get a hold of this tape, and they're like, interesting. Okay, fun twist. Also, interestingly. In the original trial, this is where shit kind of fell apart, is that in the original trial, the judge hadn't allowed Russ's attorneys to present any evidence about Pam. So they, the judge didn't allow the attorneys to say, hey, Pam got the life insurance money. They didn't allow uh, them to say Pam was the last person to drive her home and see her alive because according to the judge, who, by the way, was later like gotten huge trouble for, quote, not understanding the law uh, and was actually very, very... Um, criticized for like abusing human rights so Mm. this person and was suspended and stuff like so this judge originally was like no you can't say anything against pam in russ's trial because this trial is not against pam it's against russ so there was no chance that they could point to another person and say like russ didn't do this look who has more motive so the jury all they had was russ and they were like well that makes sense he was there and he and his wife apparently argued a lot so now, finally, that, the, that they're doing this retrial, there's a new judge who says, like, hell yeah, please bring all this information about Pam so that we could, like, open this up and right. show the jury and other people, like, yeah, Russ may have had some motive, but Pam has, like, a thousand times more motive. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, let's see. Oh, it also so the, the evidence that they were finally allowed to include also included cell phone records showing that Pam had been at the Faria house for 30 minutes after the time she had claimed to drop her off. So she said, I dropped her off and left. But now they had evidence showing that she was there for a half hour for no Mm. explained reason. They also uh, had information that Pam was named the sole beneficiary of the life insurance policy that they were finally allowed to include. And uh, so remember Russ had claimed he'd been with the four friends. Yeah. uh, And the the prosecutor said he was colluding with these friends. They They were part of it. 
Well, one of the officers timed how long his drive would have taken, 23 minutes, and found the food receipt in the back of the SUV, time stamped at 9.09. So if Russ had made it home in the time slot and gotten food, uh, he would have had only nine minutes to stab his wife 55 times, clean up, and call 911. So they were like, it's really a tight window. <laughs> like he, right. he would have had to do all this in a short window, clean up himself, shower, and okay. 55 times. Like that's horrendously a lot yeah but the strongest evidence in the prosecutor's case uh so it had been that there was blood on the slippers because like hello Mm. that's like nail in the coffin uh for us but if you look at the slippers the slippers had no blood on top of them they only had blood on the sides Uh. and so what they thought was that somebody had uh like put blood on them and or walked through the blood and then tossed them into his closet, trying to frame him. Basically, like, look, he did it. But if the person had been wearing the slippers, it would have been well, not I just was, on the bottom. I was going to say, even in the beginning earlier, when you mentioned the slippers, like the first time around, I was like, is anyone really that stupid? To, to put like, him in the closet, yeah. It's like, oh, let me go kill someone and then put my exact outfit right back in the let closet. Let me clean it up. all of yeah. the blood all over it. I'll like, tidy even- it. Yeah. yeah. Absurd. So, no, exactly. Anyway. And, like, obviously that's such an open and shut, like, well, his clothes were covered in blood. Okay, he did it. But, like, then if you look at it, it's like, why is there no blood on top of it, just on the bottom? Why like didn't someone... he throw those shoes away if they already had blood also on that. them? Like, it doesn't why, make any sense. Why would he put them right back in the closet where you would go look at his shit? Why wouldn't you put them, like, in a safe or under a fire or Can in you the imagine ocean? That? In the ocean. <laughs> Can you imagine that feeling, though, when they pull the slippers out and they're like, there's blood on these and put them in a bag and you're like, wait, what? Like, because you didn't do it. That must be yeah. the most, like dooming feeling of like i didn't wear those slippers i mean i would i would like to think if i got framed for a murder and someone found my bloody shoes in the closet i'd be like i'd like to think that i have friends who would like back me up at a police station and be like if and we're gonna kill someone they wouldn't just fucking like that's (laughs) that's not even critical thinking right there that's like like the shoes if i ever kill somebody the shoes i wore will never be able to be found again the fish flops will be found at the bottom of the ocean with their their original home with their original ancestors (laughs) they'll be with actual fish yes oh finn and gill okay um so anyway the slippers now are kind of off the table because they're like well someone walked through the blood but hadn't worn them it doesn't make any sense so also regarding the fact that, uh, oh, did I not even tell you this? Oh my God, I totally missed this bullet. Russ had been brought in as well for questioning and he had failed a polygraph test. Oh, So that, I'm sorry, that was like way early bullet. I somehow missed that. But yeah, so that was one of the first things that also was a nail in his coffin is like he had bloody slippers. He failed his polygraph, like everything yeah. was just against him. Well, so with the polygraph, apparently he later explained, like, I went in a room with a guy with a computer. They didn't hook anything up to me. Uh, he also had been awake for 32 hours and had smoked marijuana. And so, like, there was he's no... Not a, he's not a big thinker, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that, like, this would have been a legit polygraph because A, right. he was, like, totally out of his mind at this point, And B, he wasn't even hooked up. They were, like, making it up to try and, like, pressure him into to right. admitting guilt. But he's like, I didn't even, like, take a polygraph. They just sat there and asked me questions and tried to convince me that I had failed. Right. But, like, I wasn't even hooked up to any monitor. So that was all baloney as well. 
So on top of this, Pam said that on the evening before Betsy's death, after she dropped Betsy off at home, she had tried calling her multiple times because she was nervous about finding her way home from Betsy's house. Because they were like, why do you keep calling her on when you had just dropped her off? And she said, oh, I, I just like couldn't, didn't know how to get home. And like, first of all, she'd been to Betsy's house many times. And second of all, uh, why would you go drive your friend home because she's sick from her chemo and needs to sleep and is getting a cold. And the first time if you call her and she doesn't answer, you know, she's asleep and sick. Like, why are you calling her over and over again? Also, it's like 2016 or something. Like yeah. you have a phone that like a, you have a phone that can tell you how to get home. Well, I think it's 2012. So I don't know. Did people uh, have 2011? 2011. I don't know. I didn't she have had, a. She had a Tom Tom. I had and a, That's all that she matters. She had a Tom Tom. I had a BlackBerry or something, but that's a different story. Um, yeah. So it was just weird because they were like, "Well, why are you? You just said you dropped her off because you were so worried about how sick she was. Call someone else or right. you know, try and find. Also, your way if you're home. that close, shouldn't you already know how to get home from your like, yes. friend's house? Because she had been there a week before as well. Like she had been there multiple times, and this didn't seem to be an issue before. So very strange. Things were not looking great. Uh, She apparently had originally dodged a polygraph test as well. So she'd agreed to, she had agreed to one, but then uh, she mentioned sustaining several head injuries over the year. So the doc, the police were like, well, can you get a doctor's clearance so he can say, yes, you're, you're clear to take a polygraph. So she wrote to her doctor and said, dear Dr. Fisher, could you please write detective Kaiser a letter stating that I am not able to do a polygraph due to medical reasons don't need any more details than that (laughs) so clearly instead of saying hey can you clear me for a polygraph she's like can you tell them i cannot do a polygraph right um fishy fishy yeah so obviously now the defense is pointing to pam as the one with the motive and uh russ at this point was found not guilty and was finally released from jail for a crime he did not commit um so that's good so now timelines cross we're back to how pam had shot gumpenberger in her house And so that was actually the month that it was announced that Betsy's case was being re-examined. So like you said, that was the month she found out Russ is getting out of prison and now they're going to be like, who actually murdered her? Uh So now I need to turn the tides back and say, no, Russ did it. So I'm going to plant this weird note in this man's pocket. Also, does that mean she like she premeditated a murder just so that it would help her her storyline look right? Yes. Okay. She's a bad, bad lady. I mean, I know that she did like the whole like news lady thing, but like I wanted to know if she like went into this with the intention to just murder somebody. Yeah, it's pretty cold blooded and horrific, especially because like he had a lot of disabilities and she took advantage of that. And, you know, it's it's all just very upsetting. And like she's a cold blooded like it's scary how how bad she is and how much she doesn't care. Mm um anyway russ is out of jail pam is like desperately trying to point fingers back at russ and all of a sudden all the fingers are pointing at pam so it seemed like this was just her way of reframing russ which now wasn't working anymore Mm -hmm. so this is not all though because like i said pam is a cold-blooded biatch so in 2016 after pam was charged with the murder of gumpenberger uh, the police department also reopened the case of the death of pam's mom who had died by suicide, quote unquote, on October 31st. So Shirley Newman is Pam's mom. And uh, Shirley's son, Michael, had said like, no, I believe uh, her death was accidental uh, or she had died by suicide. 
But after Pam had murdered Gumpenberger and was now another suspect in Betsy's case, everybody was kind of like, maybe we should reassess the yeah. other death that happened. A lot of death happening around this one. Around this lady. Yeah, she's the center of it. So to break down what happened to Pam's mom. So on the evening of October 30th, Shirley Newman, Pam's mom, was driven home by Pam following a hospital visit, which already sounds familiar to Betsy's story. Mm-hmm. At approximately five, Pam dropped her off at her apartment and then instructed the staff of the facility or whatever not to expect her for dinner that evening or breakfast the following day. Okay. Yikes. And by the way, nobody then the next day when she was dead, nobody was like, that's odd. No, because it just didn't. So wild. I know. I know. I don't know. It's really. I feel like I feel like someone should have reported that of like, oh well, that's weird that it was. She told. Yeah. Implied we shouldn't expect she wouldn't be around. Yeah, yeah. It's very sketchy. Hmm. So on October thirty first, unfortunately, a housekeeper found Shirley Newman dead beneath the balcony of her home. So she had fallen through the aluminum railing of her balcony like not over it but through the bars and like you can see it there's like bars busted out of it and they did a a medical examination it concluded that she had died from blunt trauma to the chest from a fall but the autopsy showed that she had eight times the normal dose of ambien in her system well okay so this is why they thought it was a suicide because they were like, well, she nobody OD. accidentally takes eight right. Ambien. If you forget, you'd take another one, you know, whatever. But eight in a row is a lot. Yeah. So they were like, well, that that's why it was initially called a suicide. And her son even said like, yeah, I think that this was something she took too much medication and was in a trance or a state and fell. But Oof. like, weirdly enough, this railing apparently was so, it was like nearly impossible to bust or you need, I think like, I don't 400 pounds of force or there's like something that they studied it uh they talked about in generation y but like you need like so much force to be you you don't just like fall and bust out these railings and i've never yeah and i've never been like an ambient person but like i imagine you're a real zombie like you're not yeah throwing a lot of force into something if you don't have to you're right just right and like like falling is one thing but yeah exactly but it's not like you get like super strength and can bust through the railing and then you would have had to bust through the railing and then like slid through it and fallen Uh you know what i mean like it's very odd yeah it's a very odd thing that they hadn't really considered before um pam was also the last person to see her alive also sounds familiar to betsy's story And so from the death of her mother, Pam and her siblings each received approximately $120,000 of investments and they shared a $10,000 life insurance payout. But earlier that year, prior to her mom dying, Pam had been videotaped. This is really eerie saying, basically, she said, hey, if I wanted money when she was trying to defend herself about Betsy, she said, hey, if I wanted money, my mom's worth half a million dollars and I would get all of it if she died. So it'd be a lot easier for me to go for her than go for Betsy. And it's like okay why would you say that a and b like she wasn't even worth half a million it was a lie it's just so sketchy i don't know if she thought that she was worth half a million but she was worth ten thousand dollars in life insurance so i don't know she was apparently worth something yeah i guess something something that pam really wanted so yikes So the police uh, reopened their investigation. They interviewed the housekeeper who found the body. um, And they then concluded again that the death was accidental. 
But in November of 2017, the chief medical examiner changed the manner of death from accidental to undetermined. And I think that's a pretty rare thing to like change the manner of death so long after. I'm not positive about that. But in her notes, she stated, since her death, many things have happened that involved the daughter. And so all of that investigation, including the one in Lincoln County and the one in St. Charles, became pertinent information. I was no longer willing to say it could be an accident. So... Mm. The medical examiner's like, nope, changed my mind. There's no way this was a fucking accident. Interesting. Yes. So in 2018, during Pam's trial for the murder of Gumpenberger, the judge ruled that prosecutors couldn't present evidence relating to Shirley's death, but they could re- present evidence related to Betsy's murder. So okay. there's all these murders going on. She's on trial for Gumpenberger's murder specifically. Uh, she entered an Alford plea, which I don't, I, I've mentioned this a few times on the show, but it's hard to remember. But Basically, an Alfred guilty plea is where you admit that you say, I didn't do it. I'm maintaining my uh, innocence, but I believe that if a jury saw all this evidence, they would call me guilty. So I'm going to put in a guilty plea, but I'm so to avoid the trial. I'm going to put in a guilty plea to avoid a jury trial, but I'm maintaining my innocence. Got it. It's like, so, I'm aware how shady this looks, but yes. to save my own skin, I'm going to plead guilty. It's like a technicality almost. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to plead guilty, but I'm putting in the record that I did not do this. Right. So um, as a condition of this deal, Pam didn't face the death penalty. She was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. She's currently serving her sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Center in Chillicothe, Missouri. And in a phone call to her husband, Pam claimed she had pled guilty so her family wouldn't have to witness an ugly trial. So she's still maintaining that she's fully innocent and did this for her family, which like, yeah, okay, heard that before, lady. Yeah, for real. Um, So in piecing all this together, basically her motive for everything she did was money. She worked in the life insurance industry, like I had said, and she had actually been fired twice for forging signatures. So she had already (laughs) been fucking- Come on now. Like, why why on earth are you even trying to kid anyone? I mean, it's ridiculous. I know we have to, like, we can't just straight up say someone (laughs) did something, but I I personally don't see another way. No, no. And I mean, I think it's pretty much assumed that she did it. Um, Also, like, who's hiring her after being fired twice for forging signatures in a life insurance place? That seems really sketchy. Yeah. So she had also collected money for a family impacted by cancer. And when she was um, kind of looked at for Betsy's death, she said, uh-huh. uh, like, A, I, like my mom has a higher life insurance policy. It'd be a lot easier to, for me to get it that way. And B, if I were so desperate for money, I actually raised $50,000 for this woman who it was her last Christmas because she had cancer and I raised $50,000 for her family, yada, yada. Well, later they mm-hmm. fucking looked into this. She did raise $50,000 and she didn't give it to them. She kept it. And the family said, the family whose mother did die after her last Christmas said, we've never heard about this. Like she was using their family as like a fundraiser and saying like, oh, we just need to help her through her last year of life. And she has a family to support. And then she fucking kept the money. It's just ridiculous. The second you even said it, I was like. That yeah, really you, you looked really sad. You were like, oh, no, that's like, terrible. Can you just stop saying <laughs> this. Just stop. Don't even finish the sentence. I already know what's fucking. Wow, coming. you sound all of like our all of our iTunes reviewers. Can you just stop <laughs> talking, please, for once? Also, oh, every God. single nasty reviewer, people are like, "M just interrupts Christina all the time." Uh, I had ADHD. How this. dare you attack? Do people say that? Oh, everyone thinks that I'm just like the most annoying when it comes to interrupting you. I was like, I needed medicine. What? Excuse me. So, 
and I, unmedicated. How dare you challenge I'm, them? No, I'll, if if when it comes to, I mean, I haven't looked at the reviews in a long time, but Me neither. And we don't get too many nasty reviews, but I would say ninety percent of the nasty reviews we have are because I won't. Show that them. hurts my feelings. Oh, don't it say also that hurt about my M. Feelings. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking say that about M. I only read the ones that said I was like a dumb valley girl so whatever but um hey i meant to say this actually in this episode fittingly enough but if you guys can write us a review on itunes it's super helpful <laughs> well we haven't asked for one in ages oh, that's and I, true. I feel right. like most podcasts are like rate and review and we never say it so i'm um, if you have a minute can you just say i love when m interrupts christine it's great it's my favorite thing or be like I love that M is now medicated and therefore there's no more interruptions. So for all the people who had something to say, come back and even though again. M said that the medication wasn't working, but it's working a little bit. It's <laughs> not, just it's, it's really not working the way I want it to though, which is such a shame. I really wanted like to be laser focused on shit. And like now I'm, I'm still too distracted for me to be saying that this is a successful medicine. So hmm. all right. Anyway. Well- but yes, please rate and review and maybe uh, make those those mean reviews. Disappear. It does. It does make me feel better because sometimes if I like check our podcast page just to like see if something uploaded and I scroll down, like the featured review is a one star and it just like my heart crumbles into a million pieces because it's like I used to like this show and now they suck. And I'm like, OK, that really hurts my feelings. Anyway, I I'm think- just a big baby. I mean, we're both babies, but yes. <laughs> I know uh, it does make me really happy, though, because there there really weren't too many mean reviews, but the in between them, there were so many nice ones. So I, was I like, know I know really jazzed. So it's, thank you to all the people who do say nice things. The wonderful reviews are so, out. yes, so heartwarming and like affirming and wonderful. Um, and I know we did have some rough patches with touring, so it always kind of stings I always stings I always feel bad when people are like after they started touring I couldn't listen to them anymore and it's like we couldn't listen to each other no I know like it was we We fixed it it, though we fixed it and nobody did I moved across the country to fix it I left (laughs) M I said bye (laughs) no I think I definitely think we fixed it after that first tour we just didn't know what we were doing I mean we were out of our element yeah we were imagine all of a sudden someone says hey people really like you and now you have to completely flip your world upside down and you have you have no precedent for this no and And all of a sudden we were so overwhelmed but it's also your fault because you agreed to this like you can't you know it, it, we know that it was like a rough time and so we yeah. really tried to get things I think we did yeah especially with I mean we I I would say I mean people are probably already turning off the episode but <laughs> I, wait there's more don't leave yet okay but sorry, while we're basically facetiming uh <laughs> we really did nail it like I mean granted like the the pandemic hit but in our first like chunk of here for the booze like we fucking figured it out we nailed it we got the formula we were like this is how we can retain our sanity limit our yeah our uh breakdowns yeah it was and do a good show i was really proud of us it was such a it's really is such a shame we say so often that the show was so fucking good and i would say anyone who actually had i got to come to the here for the booze show would say it was a fucking amazing show i hope but on, on top of that it was the behind the scenes finagling we did to make sure that like like the our actual podcast itself also stayed really yes it was like upfront work that we did to make sure that during the tour we had it easy enough to make this our priority like the regular episodes a priority basically if you listen to other podcasts after this and they end up blowing up and doing really well that they start touring if during their first tour they sound real (laughs) fucking exhausted give them a goddamn break and like 
and just power through because they're going to figure it out. Like it's, it's so worth it. So yeah. And we, and like, we recognized it, like it was hard. It was really hard because everybody was pointing it out and we were like, we're trying to fix it. And I'm not <laughs> complaining in a way of like, this wasn't our fault. Like it was because we agreed to it, but we learned pretty quickly, like how to yeah. fix it. Anyway, sorry. This is like a 10 minute rant about us trying to. I don't know. Defend. We ourselves. love you, and we appreciate everyone who stuck with us. God, and like, I do too. When people say I've been listening since the beginning, it makes my heart like swell because I'm I like, know. that means they got through a rough patch. <laughs> they really did. I and we appreciate. It. So if you know anybody who ever says like, oh, I I used yeah. to listen, but I couldn't get through a certain patch, just say like they figure it out. It's they good. It's say fine. you haven't met Xenon. Yeah, haven't met Xenon. Do you even know who Lemon is? Do no. you even know? Stay. No. Okay. Sorry. I promise that we're getting here. The uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I love you all. If you could leave a review, it's super helpful. You don't have to. I don't. You know, it's not the end of the world, but it is helpful. Um, because sometimes I really hate seeing those one stars, and maybe I should just talk to my therapist. Really, anyway. the co-host of a one-star review. I know. Okay. It's painful. It's like one day you should meta. do. One day you should like really fuck yourself up and like do a Beach to Sandy episode on, and that's why we and, drink. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that. Most people suggest. Do you know that sometimes to Beach to Sandy, we like really are self-sabotaging because people send one-star reviews of ourselves to us and say, "Isn't this funny?" And it'll be like. Alexander and Christine are like the most blah, blah, blah. And they're not funny. And they just want to hear themselves. T- like, I mean, just like really cool you- stuff. And they send it to us and go, isn't this hilarious? And I'm like, no, it's just mean. <laughs> also, but like you guys kind of found the perfect formula because like now when people give you one star reviews, you can roll it off your shoulder a lot faster. It's but pretty- does it does it keep you at the bottom of, of like no we podcasts? said like we we've said like we do not appreciate one star reviews like oh, okay we make a point also in the show to like highlight five star views of companies and stuff to be like hey people who leave one stars are assholes and are ridiculous so basically nobody wants to be a one starer if that right. makes sense yeah anyway okay sorry uh yikes everyone just go away I'm just turn so this off sorry no i want to finish my story please um uh, okay, people already stop listening after your story i want people to stay so uh she still maintains her innocence in prison so her motive was money whether it was her mother whether it was this gumpenberger guy whether it was this family that she duped for fifty thousand dollars who had cancer which is just so sick so this neatly segues, oh, I mean segues, into how Russ Faria, a wrongfully imprisoned man, seemed to have a little bit of justice, at least in 2020, in that the Eastern Missouri Sheriff Department reached a $2 million settlement with him. So at least oh. he got a payout eventually, uh, which obviously does not ever make up for being All wrongfully imprisoned. Yeah. yeah. But it's something to help him restart his life. He's also like lost his job, his reputation, all of that. He says he can't rebuild. So it's mm. it's really rough. Um, and since Pam was only convicted of killing Gumpenberger, uh, the case of Betsy Freya's murder is technically still open, even though we kind of all know who did it. Um, yeah. And to think she stabbed her 55 times. It's just so fucked up. Anyway, and Pam's mother's death is also still undetermined. And wow. Vox says on the web- their website, quote, it's also important to know that this is a story that's still ongoing. Following Russ Freya's overturned conviction and eventual acquittal in a second 2015 trial, his wife's murder is now still technically unsolved. The current prosecutor is trying to change this and new documents and information about the case are still being released. So it might come to terms that she is finally convicted of Betsy's murder, which I think would be a nice piece of justice for the family. Right. Um, so 
you can listen to the thing about Pam, which is an excellent, excellent podcast, like so well done and researched the interviews. They talked to the woman who said uh, that like Pam pretended to be Kathy, a Dateline reporter. So it's all very in-depth and interesting. Um, Generation Y also did a good job. And I want to leave on something a little bit positive, but also sad, which is um, just <laughs> just like the the final note on the the victims in this case. So Betsy Faria died on December 27, 2011. She's survived by her two daughters and husband and is remembered by Russ, especially by her outgoing personality. Shirley Newman died on October 30, 2013, and is remembered to be a loving mother and grandmother. And Louis Gumpenberger died August 16, 2016. He is survived by his family, including his son and daughter. His ex-girlfriend, Shannon, remembers how he always wanted to make everyone laugh. And that is the story of the thing about Pam is that she's a terrible person. Yeah, the one thing that's most important about Pam is to stay the fuck away from her. Yeah, please. Uh, Oh my God, do not come near her. Yikes. Wow. Well, thank you. I appreciate your story. Uh, Everyone, please go rate and review us after (laughs) the chaos that is this podcast. Yikes. I hope people don't give us a one star. Like, they're just begging for attention. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Someone will. Someone will, but someone else will refute it. So we're good. I hope so. We just Um, love you guys and we want to keep doing this because you're just, I don't know. Especially after four years, I think we have like a slight fear in the back of our minds of like, oh my gosh are we old now? Are they getting bored of us? Yeah. We're Gemini. uh, So we always want to keep things like spicy. (laughs) Yes. Spicy. That's why we're starting a gossip mag. Go to Uh, (laughs) bit.ly. Go to uh, M's tabloids. uh, (laughs) M's gems, if you will. Oh, Um, we'll work on that. Well, we'll shop it. Um, But anyway, thank you guys so much. Uh, You can find everything at, and that's why we drink.com. Can't you? You sure can. And our socials are the M Schultz and X teen chiefer. And you can find us at ATWWD podcast. Yes. And even Social is Ew Gross with three, with three Ws. No. Three Ws. Oh. Look up Eva through our social. I don't know. Okay. Just type in Ew G and then wait, no. Is it three S's? You're probably is right. Three, I, I think it's last three, week Ws I said three W's. Okay. Well, we'll find out. Ava. Okay. Anyway, okay. Uh, maybe just goodbye. <laughs> she's in there. She, she's in there. You'll find her here. I'll and you. Oh. oh, you're right. It's three S's. My dumb ass said three W's and Eva didn't even correct me last week because she's too nice. I'm sorry. It's three S's, not three W's. Okay. Ew, gross. And that's why we drink. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.